Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Phone, brought to you by the Killer Bee, B96. <laughs> hey, says to Miss Cockman here. Baby, up your butt with a coconut. I think he was prepared to do it. Dylan. You son of a bitch. I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. Terrific. A six-demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Hey, yo, Kareem, baby. What's up? Listen, you ought to ditch the geeks in the car with now and get in with us, but that's all right. We'll worry about that later. Hey, homie, you need some help? I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? Audience, come out to play! Yay. Yeah, I did that. Ooh. Welcome to uh, episode six of Two Seat Cinema. My name is Lou, and I'm Dan, and we're gonna fucking do this. Uh, in case you couldn't tell by that ridiculous intro, we're gonna talk about the Warriors today. This is uh, Dan's choice. My pick. Can't wait to get into this fucking movie. Um, <laughs> Before we do, though, I want to let everyone know we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know what's going to happen, go watch the movie first. Come back. Listen to this afterwards. Which version should they watch? I mean, I watched the director's cut version. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you. I don't think that they're that different. They're not. So yeah. that being said, if you if you go to try to track it down, either one of them is suitable for what we're doing today. Yeah, if you watch the regular version, then some of the things I'm going to say will sound like uh, I was having an acid flashback, maybe. But it doesn't change the the, uh, the important points of the movie. So you're not missing anything if you watch the regular version. In fact, maybe you're retaining five or, or ten extra minutes of your life. Mm, not necessarily. <laughs> they're um, I think they're within a minute apart. Oh, uh, so they extend certain scenes. Yeah, one's like 95, one's 96. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind what I just said there. Um, clearly, Dan is the expert on this fucking movie. <laughs> I wanted to know. <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to get lots of uh, opportunities to talk about the differences here coming up. Um, yeah, this fucking movie directed by Walter Hill, uh, who is better known for 48 hours, uh, better known to me for Brewster's Millions and Red Heat. And uh, I'm not even kidding. I love Brewster's Millions. I know you did. Are you a fan? Do you know Brewster's nowhere, Millions? Yeah, I'm nowhere near as like in love with it as you. <laughs> I, I know these. From our past. I love that you know like all my ridiculous... Not all. I don't know all. I don't no, know all. you know a lot. Okay, well, one of these days we'll do an episode where you're surprised. I definitely have an inside track on it. Certainly, certainly. I think it's probably your, my wife than you <laughs> in terms of knowing those yeah. things the best. Uh, written by David Schaber... I think that's how you pronounce it, but it could be Shabber. Shabadoo. And Walter Hill, and it's based on a novel by Saul Urich. It was released in the U.S. on February 9th, 1979, so I would have been th- almost three? I guess two two and three quarters. What month? February. Okay. So I was seven. Seven? Okay. Uh, with a budget of $4 million officially, but Def w- went over that. Um, I've read $6 million some places. It's a little hard to get information on this movie. It's old, but that's what I saw. And uh, with a gross box office of twenty-two point five million, again approximately. So I think it's um, 
proven its weight though and and its staying power over there over the years yeah there was some issues with the theatrical release that probably hindered it making more money that we'll talk about towards yeah, the sure. end of the the episode here um and it opened against drum roll please hardcore starring george c scott have you seen hardcore i feel like i have isn't it where he's like going after like the underground where his daughter has gotten involved in the porn industry or something like yes. that yes okay. yes that is it and it is nauseatingly serious <laughs> like the the scene where he watches the porno movie i remember real dark bad lighting yeah for sure okay. and you know it's kind of it's got an eight millimeter vibe the schumacher movie from the 90s right but yeah there's a scene where george c scott is watching his daughter in a porno movie and it's just like on his face while he's watching it and it's hilarious <laughs> and not unintentionally very funny to me got it was he wearing his patent uniform <laughs> no, he was not. He was just uh, wearing his old man suburban guy outfit. Yeah, it's disappointing. Since you uh, picked this movie, let's start with your first exposure to this film. Do you have any relevant memories? Yeah, 100%. So I was working at the movie theater. Uh, this is Ridge at the time. And I had um, become you know decent friends with a guy named Greg. Greg uh, still is probably one of the most chill guys I've ever met. We we're hanging out. I want to say it was like it was a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, or something like that. He's like, "Hey, you want to come over to my house? You know, we'll just hang out, watch a movie or two. Sure. We go over. He's going through stacks of like VHS. They're VHS where he's taped off of like cable or something. Sure. And he's rattling a couple things off. I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, I've seen that. I've seen that." And he goes, and he pulls one out. He goes, "You seen the Warriors?" And I said, "No, what the fuck's that?" And he goes. Oh, <laughs> we're watching this. And, um, you know, he just basically pulls a VHS out of the sleeve and uh, pops that in. And we sit down and watch that in his, uh, I want to say it was his living room. And, um, yeah, I fucking, I was sold then. So, yeah. because it was the right movie for that moment. And my friend Greg is like really fucking dry funny and, and it worked for me i got you and how old were you again i well, had to have been about maybe 18 okay 18 wow okay o- older than i w- thought you would have been just hadn't come just, across it and i mean it was literally unknown to me at the time in which he said have you seen this that's interesting yeah i don't i don't remember the first time i saw warriors it was definitely high school um probably early high school but i don't i really don't remember it might even been like one of those movies on fucking cable late at night yeah uh, it's very possible but From, I, I don't have it was have either any memories it was either summer 89 or summer 90 for me so 10 10 or 11 years after theatrical release okay wow yeah well that's cool yeah i, I really this movie did not make an impact on me in terms of like seeing it in early time but it did make an impact on me in, in the way of like I thought I liked this movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, in memory, I like this movie. And then at some point in the last 15 years or so, I saw it again, and, and my opinion, you know, shifted a little bit. We'll, we'll talk more about that when Commando later. But, yeah, I, I did have a memory of liking this movie. <laughs> like, for instance, when when I started buying VHS movies and stuff for, uh, for myself when I was probably, like, 18, 19, this is one of the movies that I bought. So mm. I definitely bought this movie because I remembered liking it. And that might actually be when I saw it again. I was like, wait a minute. But <laughs> yeah, again, don't want to get too far of myself. Uh, poster on this fucking movie. Did you look at the poster? The initial exposure I had was later on at uh, 
something like a, a Ken's World of Video or something like that, seeing it on the shelf in the VHS sleeve itself, yeah. and that that was the image that stuck in my head, which may or may not be the theatrical poster. Yeah, I mean, if, I don't know if you looked at the document yeah. that has the poster in it, but yeah, it, it's it looks familiar to me too, but I'm pretty sure that I just remember the VHS bo- box cover. I don't think I... Uh, yeah, and, and, I and that is... That is what I remember off of the VHS sleeve. Yeah. This is one of those we've talked about in other episodes where, like, characters from the movie are standing in a way that's, like, completely <laughs> inappropriate for their role in the movie. So, you know, you got, like, yeah. the fucking warriors standing, like, shoulder to shoulder with baseball furies and shit. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It's just a bunch of fucking gang members. It's like a cartoon drawing of gang members looking at you menacingly. Yeah. I mean, they're. it's like, yeah posterized version of these all these gangs yeah it looks like maybe about a couple hundred people on this cover but uh yeah fuck it let's let's just get in the plot here dude let's let's just rip the band-aid off on this fucking thing hit it all right so we start with a scroll of text and an animated images while walter hill tells us via voiceover about a group of greek soldiers stuck behind enemy lines he ends with the line theirs was a story of courage and we know we're in for some shit um, this this is definitely a director's cut scene. So yeah, so soft pause. The there is no intro like that at all in in the theatrical release. There is no comic book um, effects. There's no panels. There's there's nothing like that 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 was clearly thrown in many years later. And um, in in the theatrical, it's it's kind of got like a like a seventies porn feel to it with the uh, the the Ferris wheel being sure. lit up and it and it's got that kind of almost eight millimeter feel to it as it's as mm-hmm. it's cycling and the music starts to you know just have that like kind of weird eerie creepy sustained note throughout it right yeah maybe i'll i'll find a way to bring that note in right here <laughs> I kind of like this intro. I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't necessarily know that it fits the tone of the rest of the movie for me. Like, to me, it sort of sets up a different movie than what we're about to watch, especially with the courage line. Um, yeah. Theirs was a story of courage. It's like it's it's like one additional layer of, of exposition that actually wasn't needed. Sure. It was almost like they needed to justify the the source material because if you don't read where this that. What this kind of story was based upon, you're not going to get it without having you know known a lot it's about mythology. Fed to you, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like, sure, yeah. This is this is like a tale that's sort of a, a modernized version of this thing, but yeah, is it really? Like, <laughs> you know, it, years ago, until I did a deeper dive on it, I thought it was kind of um, almost like a soft play against the Odyssey. You know, Homer's okay. Odyssey, like the, yeah. the whole get back home from the war, but it turns out that it's a uh, more specific return home tale. Yeah, and I probably would explain it better, but I didn't want to try to pronounce all those fucking for you know old timey words <laughs> from mythology. Greek, <laughs> old timey words, yeah. old timey words. So uh, the camera pan- <laughs> the camera pans away from the uh, the animation to reveal what looks like comic book panels. And we see an image of a bunch of what we'll find out are our heroes in the movie, the Warriors. Heroes or anti-heroes? I mean, they both have the word hero in it. (laughs) I'm going to go anti-hero. I don't necessarily know what we're supposed to think of them, but we're going to talk a lot about that during this this movie. Because I 
I don't ultimately know what we're supposed to think of these fucking guys. Um, it, there's, there's, they're so morally ambiguous that it would seem anti-hero to me. Yeah. So uh, Walter hits us with some more voiceover saying that this too is a story of courage. And uh, I'm going to stop here and just say, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't, there's nothing courageous going on. Yeah. Here. It's more self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. To me, like running for your life isn't courage necessarily. Um, but whatever, you know, uh, we see another comic book panel of a Ferris wheel with the words sometime in the future over it. Uh, which is, you know, certainly not true for us watching it now. <laughs> Sometime in the future. It's in the future from the original Greek tale. Sure, sure. That is true. That's that is probably go- what That's he where meant. you're going. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's why you're here. And that's why it's ambiguous future. Somewhere <laughs> in the future. Not sometime the, uh, in the future. No. Somewhere. I think it says sometime. It could be, yeah. I think I wrote sometime. I don't think I would lie in my notes. <laughs> the uh, the comic panel morphs into live action and thus begins our credit sequence. Now, I say that even though I think that tonally it makes it seem like we're about to watch a horror film, but I do like the music here. I, it, I, it absolutely has uh, a 70s horror film vibe to it. Yeah, kind of John Carpenter-esque, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. And I will also say that I enjoy it. And upon a few viewings, my son has added that to the the warrior soundtrack to his repertoire of things that he'll pull out of his ass for uh asking Alexa to play. Oh boy, I can't wait to ask you questions about what your son thinks about various things in this movie going forward <laughs> here. Um we get our pump up the volume style graffiti title card and then we're introduced to Dorsey White as Cleon, the leader of the Warriors. For those out there who are totally ignorant of this film, the Warriors are a street gang based out of Coney Island, New York, and uh how would you describe the warrior's uniform? It reminded me of when I was in the, a kid in the 70s. It reminded me of the uniform we wore for the YMCA Indian guides. It was <laughs> leather vests, okay, and that was what we had and had like our mock tribe that was supposed to harken back to something on the back. It's kind of an, a, a mix mash of that. Plus, like a, a motorcycle gang, because on the back of their leather vest is kind of like a, an embroidered arc of warriors across the back, and it harkens to some imagery that's used in in like Harley Davidson. It kind of has that feel to it of like biker, and then the leather vest feels a little bit biker esque. And um, but it's do you they, think it's cool? Do I think it's cool? <laughs> yeah. Looking at that now. At my age, no. Um, okay. When I watched it at age 18, no. My eight-year-old, <laughs> my eight-year-old son wants to do Halloween as one of the warriors. Yeah. So he thinks the vest is cool, and he wants to go shirtless with a vest on for uh, the warriors. Yeah, I think, I think Nick, uh, our friend Nick, wants to also get the warrior's vest and wear it around town. There, to, you can get them. It's about 100 it. bucks. Worth it. Not for me. (laughs) Um, During the credits, we get alternating shots of various New York City locations, as well as a bunch of short vignettes that give us the basic setup. Cyrus, the leader of another gang called the Gramercy Riffs, has called a nighttime summit with all the gangs in New York City. Each gang is sending nine unarmed representatives to the meeting in Van Cortlandt Park. Do we know why the number is nine? No, we don't know why, but he references it in his spiel. 
It's very specific. It's a powerful number. My guess is that when they were writing the script, they needed nine warriors in order to end up with like the final one or two. And then over the course of filming, they decided to change the script a bit. Makes but sense. I feel like they had like death scenes for, you know, seven or eight of them. Yeah. And then if they had needed, if they had like a cool scene that required 10 warriors, I think they probably would have changed the number. What would they have done if somebody was just not wanting to be in the film anymore? <laughs> I think we're going to find out, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dan, you know what's going to happen. Oh, shit. A little spoiler for, for our spoiler-filled podcast. <laughs> In addition to the little snippets of dialogue and authentic New York City locales, we also see the various gangs all heading to the meeting. Now, I've seen gangs of New York, and I understand that once upon a time, street games picked a theme and wore costumes and shit, but the gangs in this movie are so wild, dude, there's no way... It's as eclectic as it can yeah, be. Yeah, like, there's no way this is remotely true to life for the time, right? No, it's 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 highly exaggerated. There's, you know, a couple glaring issues. The The demographics of these gangs were a lot more ethnic. We're going to talk about racism later, yeah. for sure. And so the truth of it was you either identified with a landmark or a territory, and tied it into that or you came up with something like an imagery to to identify with now is it necessarily like dead rabbits well it's 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 not like i could never imagine that you know the new york yankees are something that you would identify with but you know in in the film maybe but it would be more like what does he call it like the Cortland rangers and you know he harkens to that like you know um I think when my dad was growing up, he always referenced like, you know, the 14th Street Dukes and stuff like that. Something yeah. along those lines. That's what, you know, Chicago would would go with. And, and New York was obviously similar and more populous. Well, as interesting as the Warriors are, I would rather have this movie been about that gang of mimes. I want to know the backstory <laughs> the of the hats. gang of mimes. Yeah. I want to know how a bunch of mimes are like, you know what? Let's kick some ass. <laughs> We're not going to talk, but we're going to kick ass. Yeah. We're going to mime kicking ass. (laughs) Not a practical gang. (laughs) It's also like pretty hard to overlook the stilted dialogue and questionable acting in some of these little vignettes during the credits. It does make for very convenient expo dumps. Well, that's what it is, right? To me, it seems like they were pickup shots after the fact because we can't, as an audience, we can't be trusted to infer the setup. So... They've added a bunch of these little, like, two people, like, talking to each other and saying, like, hey, man, are you going to the meeting? Yeah, man, there's going to be lots of gang members there. We ain't even been to the Bronx before. No sweat. This conclave is going to be a real big item. Every gang in the city is going to be there. Like, that kind of shit. But it really stood out to me. And because I hadn't seen this movie in a long time and I forgot about a lot of this shit, I was like... It kind of made me cringe a little. I was like, oh, no, what's in store for us here? (laughs) It did help my eight-year-old son get a a handle on the plot, though. Sure, sure. I think this movie is designed for your eight-year-old son, except for very specific plot details we'll get into later. But great example of what I'm talking about is Cleon asking Rembrandt, played by Marcelino Sanchez, I believe is how you pronounce his name, if he's got the stuff. You got the stuff. And after Rembrandt holds up a can of spray paint, Cleon tells him, I want you to hit everything in sight. I want everybody to know the warriors were there. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> you got you got the stuff? Do, yeah, the stuff. Do you really think, in, like, the stuff? <laughs> we're going to do the movie The Stuff, by the way, on this uh, fucking show. I'm just going to warn you right now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I don't know what slang would be for, you know, spray paint for tagging. So, but the stuff. Stuff might be period accurate. It's lacking. Yeah, not not a lot of thought put into that. Maybe it was improv. I mean, even if, to me, it'd be more, 
I don't know. It seemed more realistic if you said you got the shit. That would have been better. No yeah. reason not to say that. You got the shit. Um, and knowing that that's you know his Rembrandt, that's his that's his whole purpose in going. He's he's the he's the kid that's the tagger. He's isn't he? He's the youngest too. I think so. Yeah. I I got him and uh, I think Snow is the character's name confused a couple of times. Yeah, I can see why. It's a little racist, I think, but it's more it the hair. Be. Yeah, it's the hair because they're not even the same ethnicity. So, yeah. just <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there while I'm ahead. Um, <laughs> also, there's a cut of a dude paying for everybody in his gang to get on the subway, as opposed to them just jumping the turnstile, which made me laugh. It was like it was set up as like a cool scene like look at this fucking guy's like paying as his fucking yeah like just dropping quarters in the fucking turnstile as his gang goes through one at a time now, and i was like the fuck so theoretically I, if if i'm close if i'm right those are probably even just tokens um yeah you i'm you sure you are used right. to work off of the token system but that being said too like i know where you're going with it it you know they're gangbangers why would they pay for jumping on the you know the subway Sure. At that point, they're all going somewhere and they're supposed to keep a low profile. <laughs> okay. Do you want to draw undue attention to yourself going to a gang okay. summit? Yeah, then maybe, yeah, okay. Okay, you want to fucking I would think shilling out for the, uh, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the subway, you know, would That's be keeping a low profile there. Perfect, perfect. Nailed it. Walter Hill would be proud, sir. <laughs> also, we get our first homophobic slur of the film during the credits as James Remar playing Ajax accuses one of his fellow warriors of going faggot for accusing Ajax of having a one-track mind. Ajax is the, at this point, they're definitely dropping that he's the machismo uh, tough guy here. And yeah. uh, they they use super fucking broad strokes to paint that. And um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call it out every time, but Ajax uses that particular slur multiple times in this film, so I think we can agree that Ajax is a closeted homosexual, right? Well, considering the way that he he seems to overcompensate each and every time. What's the first thing you think of when you uh, see James Remar? Um, he's even upon my first rewatch years late, you know, years ago, he seemed familiar at the time, but. Uh, I want to say, uh, doesn't he pop up in uh, Sex in the City? Yeah, yes. Is he yes, the, is sir. he the urinate on you know, on me guy? Or no, 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 no. Okay. That is uh, the guy from Mad Men. Uh, okay. What's his? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Hello, Hello from the future. I've come to tell you that the actor that Dan was thinking of is none other than John Slattery. John Slattery. Now back to the show. 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 But yeah, no. James Remar plays um, Samantha's boyfriend during a couple of uh, maybe yeah, a full season it. even. That's it. And uh, you know he's he's a he's a fun character. Does he's some, shirtless some, a lot of that shady too, stuff. Right? I mean, they do a lot of fucking. He 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 uh, he cheats on her. They have some threesomes. But okay. the reason why it's relevant to me and why I think of him from Sex and the City is that in the show, at one point when Samantha's describing uh, James Remar's dick to her friends, she says, "He's got the most perfect dick I've ever seen. Long, pink, amazing. <laughs> it's delicious." And so every time he comes on screen, when me and my wife are watching something, one of us will say, long, pink, amazing. Got it. <laughs> it's just like, so when I see him, I think, long, pink, amazing. Always. Um, he's probably happy with that. Yeah, hopefully he finds that a compliment, because at least I'm not saying short, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Limp. <laughs> Limp. Flaccid. Brown. <laughs> Warty. Unappealing. 
Yeah, definitely Long Pink Amazing is preferable to all of those things. So after a seven-minute credit sequence, we're finally at the park for the meeting. Cyrus, played very theatrically by Roger Hill, pontificates that a citywide truce would give the gangs control of the city, pointing out that there are way more of them than there are of the cops. And uh, can you dig it? 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 I don't know if you know this, but Roger Hill is a theater actor. Well, he's definitely enunciating like one. Can you dig it? <laughs> Can you dig it? I. This is one of those moments where Tammy like turns and looks at me while we're watching the movie, and I'm like, I don't blame me. I didn't pick this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly to me, um, they're 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 picking up on some vernacular of the time for sure yeah can you i mean yeah in the same way that like the character in the wire yeah the character in the wire in season like four or five whatever character the the guy says shit like he says shit like that every time he says shit and it's funny and i'm sure there's a guy who did that and that's probably where that that actor got that inspiration it's certainly memorable but I mean, in this moment, every time he said that "Can you dig it?" thing, I was laughing. And obviously, this "Can you dig it?" speech has been used in like you know fifty or sixty different rap songs over the years. So, probably everybody's heard a version of it already. So the speech seems to be uh, going over pretty well until the leader of the Rogues gang shoots Cyrus dead with a pistol. His gang has smuggled in. Two things. First, shout out to uh, David Patrick Kelly for making yet another appearance on Two Seat Cinema. This time as Luther, the leader of the Rogues. Back to back. Second, the silliness of seemingly nobody other than a lone member of the Warriors seeing that Luther shot Cyrus is just a step further than I'm willing to go here. Yeah, and it's from this like vantage point where it just he just conveniently broke off from his group and, and is standing over and sees this. Yeah, it's I, I they could have tried harder here. I mean, I, it's not the point, I guess. Doesn't matter. We're we're in commando territory a little bit on this one, friend. Not as deep. <laughs> not as deep all right well we're swirling the bowl it's How about certainly, that? <laughs> certainly convenient enough um i mean it's again it's 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 a it's a revolver it goes off and it doesn't like he's in the thick of 900 you know gangbangers or like whatever he quotes the number at because yeah. he's rattling off statistics on how they're going to take over the city. Sure. And it's predicated upon the fact that there's, you know, oh, how many gangs here, there's nine of each member and so on. But yet the only person who sees Cyrus get shot <laughs> happens to be one warrior, nobody else within, you know, the throngs. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite willing to go there, but we're going to just, uh, we're going to accept that premise and move forward with this bad boy. Uh, Fox, played by the uncredited Thomas G. Waits, sees Luther take a shot. But before a smiling Luther can smoke Fox as well, the cops bust in, panic ensues, and everybody scatters. During this chaos, Luther convinces the lingering gang members that the warriors are the ones that shot Cyrus, and the rifts attack and seemingly kill Cleon. Yeah, Cleon, Cleon jumps through you know the, the, the fleeing crowd to more or less ch- survey the, the damage done. And, uh, yeah... He's he's definitely pinned as the perpetrator. One thing of note here is is Cleon's fucking killer moves. <laughs> you know, he's definitely he's got definitely, the elbows. He's been watching some fucking kung fu movies or something. He's got some moves. So, I mean, if you if you 
dig a little deeper in that, you know, like um, New York City definitely had a karate and kung fu movement in the 70s that uh, this this speaks to. So he's definitely yeah, he's he's showing Cleon's off the... <laughs> some sharp elbows and, and some spins. Yeah, Cleon's on the front line of that movement, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. This is one that I'm okay with. I'm going along with this one. It's It, it had a Enter the Dragon feel um, sure. <laughs> to, sure. to me. So. <laughs> At the same time, the other warriors escape and regroup in a cemetery. And after a short dick swinging contest, it's decided that Swan, played by Michael Beck, will act as the leader of the warriors in Cleon's absence, much to Ajax's chagrin. Yeah, so I guess there's a hierarchy system. Uh, Cleon's the leader, and he appointed Swan as his number two, appointing him, you know, was it War Chief? War Chief, yeah. You know, and so. I guess that's the, you know, your, your second um, as, as an emissary or leader. Yeah. I mean, he's the vice president, but I feel like Ajax is acting like that's not a very meaningful title. No, but Ajax is the alpha male in, the, in this whole thing here, so. Yeah. Ajax definitely thinks dicks taste delicious. I mean, that's <laughs> I'll just say that right now. But that's what this movie is going to be. The warrior is trying to get from Bronx to Coney Island. Yeah. Is it the Bronx or Bronx? The it's got to be the Bronx, the right? Bronx. Yeah. Bronx sounds weird on its own. Without the Bronx. The, but not the Coney Island. It's right. the Bronx and to Coney, Coney Island. Island. Again, it's like <laughs> highways, you know, Midwest versus, you know, West Coast. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Do you know how far the trip is, by the way? Um, I mean, they cite it as being, you know, like 50 to 100 miles, but that's them spitballing. I don't know the exact distance. It's 30 miles. Okay. Significant enough. Miles. If you consider, yeah, it's, it's, you know. It's not it's, a casual walk. Yeah. If you consider, you know, when somebody who's not familiar with New York, you know, it's like, oh, you're just going from one neighborhood to the next, you know, 30 miles is significant. Yeah. I mean, it's basically across four of the boroughs, I think, yeah. maybe even five. It's 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 a decent trek. It's intimidating looking at um, the scenes where they where they show all the subway maps and the systems on there, and like, ev like you can see that like, good God, there's so many stops. Yeah, it's a spaghetti dinner. Yeah. There's a lot of lines all wrapped around each other there. Uh, back at Rift's headquarters, we meet Masai, Cyrus's second in command. Probably we could call him his war chief, and uh, he puts a bounty out on the warriors based on. Uh, Luther's accusations. Yeah, with the <laughs> who are the warriors? <laughs> I want yeah. all of them. The fucking sunglasses and shit. Yeah, yeah. and Pretty that's cool. and again they you know their whole system the Gramercy Riffs seems to uh, work off of a off of a martial arts type system with their their discipline and their lines and everything. Again, seems like. It could have been ripped from, you know, Enter the Dragon with their yeah. militaristic, you know, call and response and their even their uniform. It yeah. seems to have a, an Eastern feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely like Eastern meets Black Panthers a bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So this is when we're introduced to the nameless radio DJ as she announces the hit out on the Warriors. She'll cut in every now and again throughout the film to give us a play-by-play. -play. I'm not going to mention every time she does so. Well, she's, I can't think of her name, um, but I remember her from, uh, was that Lean On Me? Is that what she is? She's, she's the angry mother 
who is upset with Morgan Freeman because he kicked her son out, I think, at the beginning of his tenure at that school. <laughs> and she's okay. been petitioning or protesting to get her son, you know, or get him fired more than get her son back in, it seems. Well, in this movie, she plays a disembodied mouth. Yeah. So. It's a little, <laughs> little, uh, little like Videodrome. Yeah. With, um, what's her name? Blondie. I could do without it. I mean, I get it. She's basically giving us a play-by-play, but, uh, you know, whatever. It's a form of narration, I guess. Yeah. And also, she's got to, you know, direct all the rest of the gangs. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. With a lot of lipstick on. She does have a good DJ voice. She does have a good DJ voice, yes. As they get to the subway, the warriors are chased down by the uh, Turnbull ACs, a gang of multiracial skinheads, but manage to get on the train unscathed. The lack of racism in this film. Have you seen Bridgerton? No, not yet. But you know what it is, right? Yes. So in Bridgerton, there's no racism and it's not explained really. Okay. And so it, it comes up a little bit towards the end of the show, but it's never really fully explained in here. It's, it's even less explained and it's weirdly distracting for me that there is no racism. Yeah. Not like, not because I want there to be racism, but because the fact that there is no racism, I, I want to understand how that happened. Um, I can't explain it fully, but I my take on it was that it's, if you're in a gang, these are your people, these are your brothers, and it doesn't matter one, one way or the other what you look like. That's the only thing I could think of, is that these are the people that you grew up with, this is the people in your neighborhood, this is, this is your crew. And, and it just extends beyond that. So so the Warriors universe is basically just an idealized version of the world. Could be. Could be. <laughs> it, you know, and it's it's not bad, like, to have, Leo. You know. <laughs> no, I don't. It's the thing, right? I don't. It's not like I want it to not be, but because of the way our world is. Like, if you show me a movie where there's no gravity, people are just, like, floating around, like, moon mm-hmm. physics. And then don't explain why there's moon physics. I'm going to spend the whole movie thinking about the moon physics. But if, like, in the first scene, I'm the rules are set for me and I understand why there's moon physics, then I'm not going to think about it the whole rest of the So you wanted movie. an expo dump of why <laughs> there's no prejudice amongst each other racially. It, it's like it didn't even need to be an expo dump. I'm pretty smart. If you just, like, gave me some inference or implication about how it, how it would happen, like... Are we imagining there's no racism in the world, or is it just New York City gangs? I think it's gang member against gang racism. member, you know, like gang member with gang member. I think it's, again, I think it's literally a, a microcosm of your neighborhood. And, you know, mixed neighborhoods existed, you know, a lot in New York. So, you know, these, these are the people that you grew up with. You know, if, if you went in, you know, to grade school with, you know, a, a Latino guy, a black guy, a white guy, you know, whatever, it... As, as this is made up of it, you know, they're just, and you all start to bang the same way. This is, this is your group. So. <laughs> sure. So the question I have for you then is, is did Lincoln free the slaves in the, the warriors universe? <laughs> was there ever a slavery? Was that just I'm never a thing? Sure it was. I, I, <laughs> I don't think that this extends to, um, outside gang culture. I think that this was. Okay pretty insular to to being in a gang as there's there's a moment when if you had juxtaposed two characters late on in the film in a scene um yeah i i could say that uh 
the racism would have played a, a part when the the prom goers observed the warriors on the train if it was sure. two different characters there might have been racial tension exhibited i could have, and that right. would have been okay. realistic for me to see that and and it would have been expected to yeah. see that but that didn't come into being because of the characters used in the scene so all right. Well, just so you're aware, when I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about whether or not Lincoln freed the slaves. In this <laughs> I don't. Universe, I don't think so. it's that different of a universe than than what they you know what we live in. I think it's just <laughs> the way the film worked with, you know, right the the, the clan. It was more okay. of a class structure than it was a racial structure. This again, this isn't something I wasn't willing to go with. Uh, it just I wondered it. about it. Like, I wondered if, if there was an explanation or if we're just like, well, so, whatever. It. Just well, isn't. real quick for plot's sake, I, I think it's important to mention that as, you know, their first encounter, you know, with the Turnbull ACs, you know, they're being chased down by a road warrior-esque bus. Um, it's important to note <laughs> that at this point, they don't know anything aside from Cyrus got shot <laughs> and yeah. they're trying to get home before there's trouble. They don't. They don't know that there's a hit on them or or message on them or anything like that. They they don't know they've been accused yeah. of, the, of the killing. This is um, they're 100 percent like in the dark. Other than well, fuck, let's get home. Yeah, they just think that the the Turnbull are attacking them because they're yeah, in the and they it, they even make right? a comment of like it looks like you know nobody told them about the truce or you know must have forgotten about the truce. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah, they get on the train unscathed, but their celebration is premature as a fire on the tracks uh, forces them back onto the streets about three miles into their journey. Uh, we get a quick scene of Luther on the phone with an unnamed confidant, and then we're treated to some really astounding overacting in a scene between Luther and one of his fellow rogues. And this acting is about as unsubtle as I've ever seen, yeah. dude. Like, when they're, you know, yelling at each other in front of the is this uh, Is this DPK's first movie? Is this David Patrick Kelly's first film? It's his yeah. first movie. Yeah, I think he just did he theater just, before this. I guess you know if, if that's the case, you know maybe he's just taking his his theater chops and and trying to trying to present to the audience and being unaware. It's I mean, listen, Walt, Walter Hill had to yell "cut" and print. Yeah, you know? like he could at any point have said like "let's take that down well, to an eight. Sully but is a he, character, he and I think uh, the more exaggerated he gets, the more uh, he it was probably what they wanted. It's not a realistic character. I mean, he's he's playing a you know scumbag, you know, pseudo psycho. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar. Maybe this is this is solely this is wheelhouse, before man. he was yeah, in the service. Like after after this happened, the fucking you know in the finale of this movie, after that happens, he goes into the uh, army. He's in the service. He meets Henriquez, and they put his skills to use. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, because you know, with, without jumping way to the end of the film, I mean, we don't really see where he goes it could have been they just said here here's your ticket into the army pack your fucking bags and get out of town <laughs> exactly they gave him a choice we're gonna fucking kick your ass or the army but yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's great and you know throwing the money at the girl behind the counter with her nice wide eyes yeah yeah she stood out to me too i had to see if she went on to have a career and she almost no. looked like um fucking god damn it what's her name now um the Shining, uh, Popeye. Uh, oh, uh, Shelley Duvall. She had like she could have been Shelley Duvall's niece. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Shelley Duvall, but with a pink little tails. less uh, olive oil looking. Yeah. 
Back to this phone call, dude. We get a few of these throughout the movie, and there's never really an explanation for it. Yeah, that's one of my biggest issues with the writing of it. It just seems it, yeah. it, there's, it seems like there's a dead end on the other line. Like there's nothing. There's no reason why he's making these calls that we can tell, other than again to use as a narrative device that he's yes indeed he's set it up and it's going real well he's he's pinned the crime on somebody else and that's i mean who's who the fuck is he talking to his mom well based on the the ending scene when he like explains to swan which we'll get to like why he did it there's not really any reason so maybe he's covering maybe it's like I, who knows who knows what the canon for these phone calls are but it's definitely not explained no and it's worse and than really it's worse than it. like uh peter brady on the brady bunch pretending to be on the phone with somebody else it's it's clearly it's one <laughs> of those like you know as one-sided fake phone calls as possible yeah yeah it's going yeah it's going great 50 percent acting 50 percent writing would be to blame yeah, on that i it, think either way it's tremendously bad on that part yeah back to the warriors they encountered a low-level game called the orphans during the scene, they seem to parlay for safe passage until Mercy, played by Deborah Van Valkenburg, makes chicken noises and antagonizes the orphans into demanding the warriors remove their, quote, colors, meaning their leather vests, in order to cross their territory. Swan says, fuck you. Fuck you. Literally. And the orphans disperse. I laughed my dick off when the leader of the orphans busts out a newspaper clipping to show Swan how legit they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, he fucking it's, pulled out a newspaper, yeah, they un- dude. They unfolded it and tapped it. You know, like, see, we're legit. Haven't you heard of us? <laughs> they write about us in the paper. Uh huh. That was uh, fucking ridiculous. You know, and and <laughs> okay. So my most recent rewatch was the director cut, and in there, it just is. It's just a newspaper. I don't know if it's in my mind or not, and I have to go back at some point and watch the theatrical cut of that scene because I felt like it said exactly what they, or you saw the clipping and like what the headline was, yeah. like you know, like they did whatever crime they're being accused of in the paper. <laughs> right. There was there was a little tiny bit more info given to us at the time, but I, I could be just making that up in my head. It showed that they were accused of loitering. Exactly. <laughs> really, like, really proud Orphans of it. kicked out of strip mall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See? See? We're real heavy! I'll tell you what, though. Every character in this movie talks like the Hey, That's My Box guy from <laughs> Pump Up the Volume. Hands off my box. Yeah. Hey, that's my box. How's, How's about, about asking? asking? Hey, that's my box. How's about asking, huh? Yeah, that guy. Everybody in this movie talks like that guy, in my opinion. Uh, there's, I mean, I don't know. The Swan talk like that to you? Kind of. Not as bad as some of these, as some of these ancillary characters, but yeah, kind yeah. of. There's moments where I'm like, come on. There's a moment where he's talking to Mercy later. Yeah, I, was, I know what I was saying. like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable to listen to. Yeah. Speaking of Mercy, how uncomfortable does Mercy's pink bodysuit and brawlessness make you while watching this with your, uh, your young son? Um... <laughs> he didn't seem to notice or, or care um but at the same time in my mind i'm like is he gonna notice that she's got high beams the whole time uh, <laughs> how many times <laughs> have you I watched this movie it, with but, him you know like um, a dozen no like four okay 
That's but I mean that's a lot, enough. right? <laughs> that's 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 twice for, for every nipple. Yeah, that's twice yeah. for every nipple right there. So I mean, he still go, you know, turns his head away like at the mushy parts, you know, like but and he, not and he kisses like oh okay, okay, but he doesn't turn away at her pink bodysuit. So maybe he's yeah. just maybe he's just chill about it. I don't know, but I, it stood out to me pretty dramatically. I had no memory of that bodysuit until watching it this oh. last time. No, I 100% from first viewing on was aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, well. It was it's almost like she was like coming from like her her bad dance recital. Yeah, yeah, it looked like she was, you know, at the fucking studio right before that. Yeah, we're like doing some roller disco. <laughs> so, after some silliness between Mercy and the Warriors where Swan jokingly comments that maybe they should pull a train on her, the orphans return in mass. Luckily, the Warriors toss a Molotov cocktail into a nearby car, causing it to explode and distracting the orphans. Luckily, that was planned. <laughs> It's lucky for them they they had thought ahead to bring a fucking Molotov cocktail. Yeah. Um, but the distraction is enough for the Warriors to escape to the nearby train. And again, I was laughing. Like the way this scene was blocked. You see how chill they were when they when they put that together. Like it wasn't even a thought, man. It was yeah. like nonverbal communication. Takes he takes and rips a piece of her skirt and turns it it's... into the, <laughs> the, the the fuse rag and. I listen. It like, was cool. There's things about it that are cool, but the the actual execution, how it was like filmed, and how the characters yeah. respond to it is bizarre. Yeah, how the orphans respond and like literally scatter like you know ants is is pretty funny. Um, yeah. And and I what I again, I'm I'm taking the exaggerated part of it, but yeah, I I thought the way that they just literally went like did it like business like, you know, it's like been there done that. I liked that part of it where literally it's just like not even a there's there's like a maybe a sideways glance and they're already in you know taking the flask off the you know the the necklace and doing the thing up and it's like everyone's in on it and knows that this is going down on their side and yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cool I enjoyed right. that right. and um, you know for a second opinion uh, my my son liked the uh, his first exposure to a Molotov cocktail. I had to explain to him how it worked. Did you? Yeah, it's two to one on that for me then. Because I, <laughs> I mean, I, I get you. I get what you're saying. And I think done right, it could have been really cool. Mm-hmm. But overall, the scene for me doesn't work and ultimately made me laugh. I, I yeah. wasn't, I really wasn't appreciating the things you were appreciating at this point. I was like, <laughs> well, it on. wasn't like he was like stirring machine guns while shooting them off. No, and like... no. But the, again, <laughs> without the. It wasn't like he was shooting. <laughs> shooting a rocket launcher backwards and forwards but that's the thing right if if in this movie there was some fucking brilliant lines like remember when i told you i'd kill you last oh, yeah. then <laughs> i would be willing to forgive some of this but it's like this is commando without the fucking awesome lines. so so nothing tipping the scale back for you we're Got not it. at okay. zero at this point i'll tell you that right now okay. we're, we're definitely okay. in the red a bit we're not like it's not hardcore in the red there's still things i like about it but i yeah. it, it's you never know. We could get back to even here in a minute. Just, back you know, in the black? Hang with me. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All I want right, to know from right. you, though, why did Mercy go with them? Uh, dude, okay. So, again, not real, you know, reasonable for her to want to tag along. But as she states a little bit later, you know, she likes she likes to travel. And there's nothing, nothing for her there anymore. And, you know, hanging out on a Friday night and, you know, opening up a, your cupboard, cockroaches running out and stuff. Is this... Is there's got to be something better, so why not just fucking roll the dice? Okay. So she was fucking rolling the dice and just saw 
probably a more successful ride out of town in the in the Warriors than the fucking orphans, which sure. good God. I mean yeah. <laughs> there's probably a reason why they're called the orphans. Yeah. And uh <laughs> they are as they are as misfit a bunch out of this whole gang of gangs. And to the fact that like their uniforms are literally a shitty t-shirt with like iron on <laughs> iron on lettering on the back that says orphans. And it's like each one of them it's like in a different position on their back. Yeah. <laughs> they are as orphaned as they're, possible. They're unaffiliated, right? Isn't that how uh they how refer Masai to them as yes, they're them. unaffiliated. They're unaffiliated yes. So they're so down on the list, you know. Yeah. They I mean they're not obviously the Masai didn't see that newspaper clipping about the loitering in the strip mall. <laughs> shoplifting bubble gum yeah i get it i get it but again i was like okay. she's hitching her 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 ride to you know a different pair of coattails she seems kind of stupid is all i'm saying oh i mean she's playing (laughs) i i can't imagine she's playing an intelligent character sure sure (laughs) so the warriors make it another seven miles or so into manhattan now but when their train uh lingers at the station a bunch of cops converge on them and they have to scatter at this point, a cop throws Fox onto the train tracks, killing him, answering your question of, I wonder how they get rid of a character midway through this movie if they decided they wanted to. Yeah. Well, this is more of a get rid of an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it later, but Walter Hill basically wanted to fire the guy that was playing Fox, and so he just decided to have a stuntman throw him onto the fucking train tracks. <laughs> a stuntman throw a stuntman on the yeah track. yeah basically put a wig on a stuntman and, and say that's fox i, I, I some from fast I cuts what from what i understand they had to like rewrite the script after this point because that guy that actor was like kind of a big deal in this moment in his career and was sort of one of the stars of the movie he was yeah it was an up-and-comer so now in the movie it's like almost blinking you miss him yeah yeah and it's um to me, I try to think about what else I've seen him in, and and immediately the only thing that jumps out is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, he didn't stand out to me. It's been a long time since I saw that, so he didn't stand out to me at all. But it's his hair, like yeah. his. It's the eyes to the hair, and that's what I see. I mean, in this movie, he's got a dopey look on his face, and yep. has like that's two lines, eyes. and that's the end of the the end of the line for him. So onto the train tracks he goes. We'll talk more about him later. <laughs> it's clearly one of those. It's 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 not quite as bad as Arnold's stunt double, you know, running with a wig <laughs> sure. at like a, you know, three times the pace that Arnold's running at. Uh-huh. But you, I mean, if you know that this is the scene in which he's removed from the film, I mean, you you see right away it's it's one hundred percent not him. It's it's a totally another another dude that's yep. thrown onto the tracks and. There's no, there's no cut on his face. Like it's, they run down a set of stairs, but during that time, you never see his face. And as he's rolled onto the tracks, it's like almost like a, like a quarter angle on his face. And it's, you know, it's not, not him. Yeah, it's not him. Um, so Cochise, Rembrandt, and Vermin make it back onto the train, but Swan and the rest of the crew end up on the street where they meet the Baseball Furies. The Baseball Furies is a perfect name for these guys. Baseball uniforms and bats and scary face paint and. <laughs> Yeah, they look like the Yankees minor league team that has gone trick or treating, and I kind of like them. I mean, oh, I love them as a signature look. I've got that, but there's no way it would be a gang. Yeah, I bought bought that pop. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't not buy the green baseball fury. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I love the imagery of it, but it is so far fetched from what anyone reasonably would would try to pull off. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's. 
it's right there with the mimes it's right there with the fucking mimes i think it's i think it to, <laughs> to me it, it's more badass than the mimes and therefore makes it a little bit more plausible for me to want to be in a gang of if i had a choice between the two <laughs> it's clearly based yeah well i mean okay so it's like if the mimes had fucking cricket bats then that's <laughs> then they're on fucking an even playing field I don't know. I don't, <laughs> don't want to wear a top. I'd rather wear a baseball hat than a top hat. Yeah, it's just a little better. And they were for wearing athletics. like fucking. weren't they wearing like sus- black suspenders <laughs> over red shirts? Yeah. I mean, just the whole thing. I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go baseball pants. You know, jersey top and, yeah. and swing a bat, man. Well, here's a quick fact for you. One of the baseball furies is played by Steve James of American Ninja One through Three fame. The big black dude. Ooh. He's one of the uh, baseball furies. So see the red paint one. I don't know which. I think one. he's the taller of the of the crew. Probably, if there's one big black baseball fury, that's probably him. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll upon my forty seventh view. Yes, the next one. time that you watch him, if you can, you can get through the uh, nipple scene unscathed, and then <laughs> you can really hone in on Steve James. My nipple tolerance is high now. <laughs> it's got to be not as high as your son's though. <laughs> That just might be an ambivalence. Maybe nipple ambivalence. I don't. I look forward to the day when, like, halfway through that movie, he's like, "Wait a minute!" Hmm. <laughs> like the fuck. Like when he's thirteen, you'd be like, "Let's watch the Warriors does, again." Just does a waiting. pause. Yeah, just waiting to see if he notices the, the nipples this time around. Yeah. Uh, again, his favorite gang, the Baseball Furies. The baseball Furies. The, I mean, they're pretty great. They're not my favorite. Well, we'll talk about my favorite when we get there. But they are definitely in the top three. At this point, it's it's also, I think, the coolest looking out of the crew. I mean, like the Turnbull ACs, they they look like a bunch of skinheads. I mean, you know, the 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 Gramercy riffs, you know, it's it's that, you know, kind of kung fu esque type uniform and so on. If you're an eight year old kid, <laughs> it's, Baseball Furies is the way to go. Yeah, there's a reason why they're kind of a signature signature piece of this movie. I think that's yeah. something a lot of people would recognize. The the Furies chase the Warriors into Riverside Park, and Swan and Snow pull a top gun, running up a hill into the shadows and letting the Furies run past them so they can sneak up on the uh, baseball Furies from behind. I actually, so, like you with the fucking Molotov, I actually kind of liked the execution of this scene. I thought it, it sort of worked. They turn and like, run into the shadows, and the way yeah, it's filmed, no, I, I could that. see how they would get away without being seen. Um, so I kind of like that. I like how they peel off, but I, I like the part where it's almost, again, known to all four of them that this is, this is the way to do it. He says, come with me, but then the other two keep their, their straight line going and they don't yeah. turn back or blink. To me, that seemed like these guys have some sort of orchestrated maneuvers that they, they're at least on the same page with. <laughs> They've been drilling this one. Yeah. I was going to say, I think ZZ Top needs to sue whoever wrote the fucking song during this chase scene, though. I don't know if you recall, but it is fucking <laughs> ZZ Top all the way. Got it. Not actually ZZ Top, but yeah. I know what you're Inspired saying. by, certainly. When Cowboy gasses out, he and Ajax stop to fight the Furies that are chasing them, and Ajax... Uh, says quote he's sick of running from these wimps Uh and uh we're going to talk more about that but after a protected fight scene the outnumbered warriors emerge victorious and after the fourth or fifth time ajax uses the word wimps i kind of started to miss when he was calling people faggots (laughs) uh well the 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 problem is when he says wimps he gets this look on his face as he as he literally hits that last syllable you know or that only syllable but he he hits hits the sibilant of wimps it's like he he makes this little pouty face and yeah and i think that that even detracts it more he's deep in the closet dude 
Yeah. He he is he is thou doth protest too much incarnate. <laughs> that's what that's what Ajax is. Now on, on on this fight scene, you say protracted fight scene. It this was probably the most choreographed fight scene in the film itself. Um as as there's a lot of moving parts. There's another fight scene uh a little bit later, but that one seems more like you know, there there was a general thrust at the beginning of the fight, and then it just goes, you know, let's do a free for all. Whereas in this, there's there's the version of sword play with the baseball bats, and you sure. can see that this was their rehearsed fight that they did. Yeah, it's not it's not bad either. I mean, I'm not. There's things about it that I liked. It's not bad, but it it, it feels more mechanical, whereas in the other ones feel kind of a little bit more realistic because they're just kind of wailing on each other. This one is like, there's like clack, 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 clack of bats. Sure. So. None of these felt realistic to me, dude. <laughs> I understand that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to comparative, comparative numbers oh, here. Man. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we cut to a train arriving at union square station and vermin Cochise and Rembrandt disembark. Instead of the rest of the warriors, they fight a six pack of very suspicious looking women. And as they approach, what is clearly a gang of lesbians, we cut back to Swan and his group leaving the park. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just leave that right there. Before they make it out, they pass a lone woman sitting on a bench. She makes eyes at Ajax, and after accusing the other warriors of, quote, going faggot, Ajax heads back towards the woman to, quote, get a little exercise. Yeah, I mean, they they, they definitely try to keep him from doing so, and they definitely try to, to discourage that, and Ajax just has to be that dickhead. Yeah, and they're not... They're not trying to discourage him from doing it because they have any kind of respect for the woman or want him to no, not physically assault her. We got a, just, we got places to be. We don't have time for you to physically assault that woman. If we wouldn't <laughs> have somewhere to be, knock yourself out. We might be right there with you, but we've got more important fish to fry than raping somebody right now. <laughs> right. It's becoming increasingly difficult for me to root for the warriors at this point. Like, you, yeah, anti-heroes for sure, but... Even like anti-heroes, when I'm watching a movie with anti-heroes, I st- it's like I like them still. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I'm like, do I like these guys at all? See, I'm okay with some of them. For example, uh, Cochise. I think, <laughs> I think he's he's enjoyable to watch, and he's pretty inoffensive on most of what he pulls off, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, there's there, each one of them has a little bit of merit to him. Uh, not so sure about Ajax, per se, because he's literally one of the reasons why... You know they're they're as far behind as they are. You know, sure. I mean, he yes, he breaks through the the wall at the uh, the gang summit and helps you know them escape at the initial phase. After that, he's just kind of like almost dead weight, minus he kick, like he, he his, his little, ass kicking. Yeah, he kicks a little ass during the baseball furies scene. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? Let me let me let me pose you this. Let's say there's a cut scene and you're like, oh, they put a, a a scene I never saw before back into the Warriors uh, Super Director Remastered cut, and it's a scene of Cochise and Ajax talking. And Ajax is like, hey, later when we're walking to the park, if there's a chick there, you want to run a train? And Cochise is like, fuck yeah, man, I'm in, unless we've got somewhere to be and then I might not be down, but normally I'm 100% down for, like, whatever. Would that change your opinion about Cochise, or would you still be like, I like Cochise? Yeah, no, I... I- Okay, so you live <laughs> in a world where you assume, Take that away. you assume that Cochise is not down for sexual assault, and therefore you're able to like him? Correct. Despite the fact that, like, for example, Swan says we should run a train on you. That's the thing. You know? I so, think and, all of these guys are down. I'm assuming they're all on board, except for uh, the guy with the spray paint, except for uh, um, Rembrandt. Rembrandt. He's the only one that's not down for the train, but... 
everybody else is 100% in and it's just like not right now we got lots of ass back in Coney Island that we can we can smash you right. know so to me that's where I'm coming from I understand what you're saying I just I feel like they're they're complicit in Ajax's behavior is how I yes. feel and well, so keep in mind as much as they stylize this there's there's not much that's like redeemable about anyone being in a gang that's i mean they're not out there because you know they're they're trying to make the world a better place sure <laughs> you know, they're, they're definitely down for self-protection self-preservation and for fun for crime for gain Listen, whatever the case might be here's the thing right i like denzel washington's character in training day mm-hmm. be- he's a horrid piece of shit oh yeah but because denzel washington is such a good fucking actor and because there's so much awesome dialogue in that movie where he comes off as like fucking funny and crazy, it's it's charm and charisma mixed with good writing. And neither yeah. of those things are present in this movie. So because of that, sure. I, I can't like abide the behavior. It, I understand. Like to me, it's not I'm not saying like you're wrong. But trust me. I'm just saying like <laughs> there's not enough good moments in this movie with these characters for me to like get over the fact that they're kind of scumbags. Right. So I, they I are fixated. scumbags. So I, I fixated it. on it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of what it is. Now, do well, I think you should show time. your son Training Day? Yes, I do. Yo, <laughs> it's on the list. It's on the list. I've already shown him a preview of it. Let me know so I can make a joke about having my shit pushed in the next time I chit chat with him. Hey, pig! You ever had your shit pushed in? <laughs> your shit pushed in. Simple question. Nah. No. Had my shit pushed in. Oh yeah, man. I had my shit pushed in, bro. Big time. <laughs> well that being said, it's it's gonna wait about five years. So. Okay. But I've shown right. them a pre it's not it's not on the horizon like right now. Yeah. We've got a um kind of a working list that we, we go off of. That's cool. And there's there's ones where, you know, we, we have discussions about okay. Not, not yet, or not for a while, yeah. and and training day is not for a while, and um, yeah, I mean, again though, like here's here's the thing, like training day, they don't try to glamorize uh, Denzel Washington's character, right? Yeah, no, not really. They paint it, and they let it let you know, let it lie where they're where they're at with it, but you take something like as detestable as I don't know a pirate. And you put Johnny Depp as a pirate, and next thing you know, like everyone's wearing pirate costumes for like the next decade. <laughs> sure, and, you know, and it's it's all of a sudden you know, this is because again, a pirate. You put him in a movie. It technically, if you know, he's the center of attention. He's the antihero in that, and they're detestable, rapey people and killing and right. You know, there's <laughs> it's all that sort of thing. So I get your argument that in the warriors, the characters, you're not finding. You know the 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 charisma, the 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 writing and the acting to take any of those guys over the top for you to accept. You know that they're scumbags yeah. and likable. Yeah. I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's my rose colored glasses on this film. There's still some likable parts to these guys. I not like going out and you know trying to emulate any of them. Sure, but. I enjoy watching them interact a little bit for the spectacle sake of it. I get, I get it. It's, you know, I just am not seeing what you're seeing much like you and commando with me. Yeah. So I get Again, it. though, I love Arnold. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Vernon, it. you know, like <sighs> I liked him a lot better in road warrior. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. where he said nothing. Didn't wear a, a knit vest. Yeah. Didn't, Faux chain mail knit vest. Didn't really, really want to blow Matrix. Yeah. But here, you know, maybe Ajax has some sexual tension with Swan. <laughs> and it's hard to tell. I know. I, re- I really do think that Ajax is closeted. Um, hopefully yeah. he, you know, got it together at some point after this. Again, movie. it maybe it, it again that manifests why he is so misogynistic and why he's so like violent with right. with the woman on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to that. Cowboy and Snow decide to go back to check on Ajax, leaving Swan to continue alone. We're back with Ajax now, and the woman on the bench, played by uh, Mercedes Rule, uh, otherwise known as Josh's mom from the movie Big. Uh, she's looking all sexily at Ajax as she says, you want to show me how you play with the chicks? <laughs> oh, look at all those muscles. Exactly. To which Ajax replies, I'll show you how I play, and then proceeds to instigate a sexual assault. And It's like he damn near bites her like well, on, on like first first turn. That's what's funny. Like She's basically like, I'm down. And he's like, oh, you're down? You're not going to be down in a minute after I show you what I'm, what I'm like. If he just was looking to, to hook up with a woman she was down up until this point i mean obviously we find out it wasn't gonna go that way but right. i feel like had he been like tender with her and gentle and like oh so you know where'd you go to school like what are you into what kind of movies <laughs> do you like and then like leaned over for like a nice sensual kiss like what what would she have done as a cop right well i mean again he's they're, they're straight up using it as like all right ajax is is a bastard and you know we, we're just gonna Show that you know the the worst of us don't make it. Hey, luckily for her, Ajax is a piece of shit because he oh, fucking yeah, he's a piece he, of shit. he takes her interest and in, and in, yeah, it, we get when, another wimp out of it though. Yeah, <laughs> lots of wimp. By the way, the actor that played the cop that um, hits Ajax, the fucking wimp. Yeah, he was actually. I think he had that actor had auditioned for the role of Ajax. And was too old to play the character, but the director put him in that role anyway. It's like to give him a role in the movie. So it's sort of ironic that he got to give him payback. Yeah, he got to smack James Remar with a with a nightstick. <laughs> um, yeah, Ajax flips out while while she whistles to summon a cop car, and uh, yeah, there's a melee. Ajax, you know, <laughs> what are those cops thinking driving that though? Because they could have wiped out both the undercover cop and the park bench all in that turn, dude. That- <laughs> <They're> just- <laughs> There's, comes literally a Fast and Furious move skidding in there. It could have been fucking Dukes of Hazards driving that it's uh, ridiculous. car. It's ridiculous. So over the top. Yeah, Cowboy and Snow arrive <laughs> just in time to see Ajax arrested. And let me ask, from a filmmaking standpoint, what was the point of having them go back to see that? Uh, so that they could lend context to the fact that AJ is gone. Like, they know for sure that he's not missing. They know they didn't just leave him along the way. They know that he's nabbed. So you think that the director was like, if we don't show that and then the, the warriors just leave and they never look back, then it it's going to make them look less loyalty. loyal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, right. I look at it as in these guys, despite all of their flaws and the fact that they're all kind of different guys, that they're, they have this, this expected brotherhood to, to keep each other up. And that's why, you know, I think... Snow says something along the lines of like, yeah, we should we should go back. I mean, he saved my ass back there, you know. Yeah. Like he's showing that, you know, given play of of loyalty. Yeah. So That's right, take it. Loyalty was important to Walter Hill uh more so than clever writing. <laughs> this is Good the early writing. Band of Brothers. Yeah, holy shit. I think we should do back to back. We'll do Band of Brothers for my episode. <laughs> uh, episode 1 of Band of Brothers. 
Right. <laughs> I fucking I love that show. Uh, Swan arrives at the 96th Street station where Ma- where Mercy is waiting for him. She tells him that Fox was grabbed by the cops, so I guess she missed that he w- was thrown onto the tracks. Probably chances are this film this scene was filmed after before the tracks throwing scene. So it's possible. When they get to the platform, more cops show up and we're treated to one of the most unintentionally funny moments in this film when Swan throws the bat he's carrying at the cop's legs to trip him. And the shot is inexplicably in slow motion. Yeah, it takes it takes it definitely goes down in speed <laughs> with a nice audible clunk. It's like they might as well had like a bionic man like noise when the bat was <laughs> thrown. I laughed this is another moment where I legit laughed out loud. And I wondered about that too. I wondered if it was like in real time looked that it was stupid. hard to see the impact. Uh, it just looked like he f- did a pratfall. You yeah, know? I think it looked stupid. So I wonder if they slowed it down just so that you could see. Well, he really no, he actually fell because the bat hit him in the knee. You know, yeah. and it was in- indecipherable in the moment. So that's why they did that. Otherwise, it is so out of place because there's really no other time in which that's you know that effect is used like that. Yeah. No. I mean, there's like, I think one point later where somebody's thrown into a bathroom mirror and it kind of has a little bit of a slowdown effect so you can see the shattered glass. Is there, a, is there, uh, we'll see in my notes, but is there a slow-mo during the knife throw at the end? No. Okay. No, well, it's not slow-mo at in all. In a minute? It's actually like kind of quick. All right. Other side note, you know, this is, this is the point in which there's, there's been a wardrobe adjustment for, um, what's her name? Uh, Mercy's Mercy. character. Do you know why? Yeah, okay. she uh, busted her shit, busted her arm in yeah. filming, I believe. She, she like, and broke her wrist or something during one of the earliest scenes, so they put a jacket on yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, so she's got a jacket. And, and, and Devlin and I were analyzing which which hand we thought it was, and we've settled on right because at one point yeah. when they're walking, it definitely seems like she's not moving the fingers at all in the right hand. Yeah, It looks cast-like. And he didn't mention to you that he, he really misses that pink bodysuit from earlier? <laughs> He didn't say anything like that. No, no mention of it whatsoever. All right, okay, all right. Uh, (laughs) So Swan and Mercy haul ass down the subway tunnel to escape, and we cut to Cochise, Rembrandt, and Vermin being escorted to some kind of crash pad or bar or something with the women that they met earlier at Union Square Station. Yeah, it's either or, but it's both at the same time. It's a bar or or somebody's like hangout. Yeah. It's it's almost like the Boys and Girls Club location in the city. Yeah. It's like couches and a jukebox and a bar and pool table. Yeah. It's weird. Um, Turns out the women are in a gang called the Lizzie's, which is a bit on the nose for me. Um, Oh, yeah. It's right on the nose. Yeah. But uh, Vermin and Cochise seem unaware. It's not it's not on the nose enough for them. Rembrandt thinks they should leave, but Cochise and Vermin are going to shoot their shot. Yeah. but we're not going to see that just yet. Back to Swan and Mercy walking in the subway tunnel, and we find out that Mercy is interested in Swan romantically, but Swan doesn't respect Mercy's lifestyle. After saying some bullshit to her, Swan leaves her in the subway. This scene's another one that I had a hard time with. Um, yeah, there's, there's no, he's, he's in no position to judge whatsoever. Yeah, I, it, it really. So this is one of those moments where, like, if this is a well-made film, I'm with I'm with Swan saying, like, this is how Swan f- feels about himself and sees himself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like he's kind of delusional about his own. Self-hating. Right. But Self-loathing. because it's not a well-made movie, in my opinion, instead I'm thinking that Roger Hill really wants me to think that I'm supposed Roger to think. Uh, Arthur Hill. Excuse me. Roger. Arthur Roger Hill. Is Roger Hill's the... Daniel Diggins! Yeah, no, what I was saying, though, is that 
I feel like because the movie's not that well made, I, I feel like the director wants me to think that what Swan is saying to her here is actually literally the truth. Mm-hmm. Somehow we're supposed to view Swan as like this character that's sort of to be looked up to in some way. So if Woody Allen had made this, we'd realize he was just self-loathing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like in the hands of a better writer and, and, and actor, I think I would I would be able to get with this scene like this, but just the way it's done, I was like, oh, come on with this fucking shit. Yeah, like I said, I hear you. I mean, he's, he's in no position here to be judging on her. Yeah. Or he should at least be <laughs> at least pure level, you know? And that's even when the dialogue made sense. Some of the dialogue didn't even make sense to me there. Like yeah. it just, I, I couldn't, it, I couldn't follow his a little scattershot, his, his through line. Also, that may be the worst kiss in cinematic history, or possibly second behind <laughs> Biff and Leah Thompson in Back to the Future Two. You know, in the fucked up dystopian future. Yeah, that that kiss always stands out, where you can see his tongue going in her mouth. You know, but yeah, this this kiss is terrible. Is this one that your kid looks away from? Oh yeah, good call. For sure, he's not he's not good on it. <laughs> good call. Let's rewind to the bodysuit, Dad. Uh, yet again we return to Vermin, Cochise, Rembrandt and the Lizzie's after a little more foreplay Rembrandt notices that the vibe is a little off and just like that one of the Lizzie's locks the door and all hell breaks loose (laughs) the door lock made me laugh like clack um, there's a lot to unpack here dude on its surface the movie is saying that Cochise and Vermin are being seduced by these women and Rembrandt is the only one that is not fooled by the charade, but I can't tell if the movie is aware that Rembrandt is gay. He's the most effeminate gang member he's, on, on okay, screen. He's very clearly gay, but I don't know if the movie knows he's gay or if maybe just the actor is not a good enough actor to hide the fact that he's gay. And so yeah, I, I don't know either. I'm unsure. What I'm saying, though, here is that, like, if the movie's aware that he's gay and then the reason that he's not being swayed by the female attention that like that's why then further still is the reason he's he's like intuited that the lizzie's are a gang of lesbians because he's gay like there's mm-hmm. so many layers to the onion yeah there is um so remember earlier on i said that i had first thought that this was you know kind of classic classic mythology based upon homer's odyssey okay so in my viewings of it leading you know upon that notion I, you know, I thought of the Lizzie's as the sirens, you know, when, when Odysseus's crew, you know, is pulled off course and, and they are on, on the island and they're being entrapped by the sirens to then give up their, their journey back home and so on. I equated with the Lizzie's with the sirens from the Odyssey yeah. and it made more sense to me based upon that. I do not know the actual myth story that this is based on you know to where i could even tell you if there are sirens or anything like that in there but to me when i was first thinking this was based off the odyssey it made more sense to me and that in the odyssey there is you know a character who is not swayed by their song in the odyssey is that character gay um or why are they not swayed by the song i don't know because (laughs) there's a lot there was a lot of um there's a lot of gay and bisexuality that was in in a lot of Greek yeah. mythos, so it's hard to I I can't pinpoint right. that. Everybody so. was fucking pan back then. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot going on. Well, there there was no sure, judging. Sure. I mean, listen, I 
I'm okay with Rembrandt being gay, whether or not the the movie knows he's gay and whether or not that has anything to do. Well, does Ajax know he's I gay? I mean, clearly Ajax doesn't, considering how often he's talking about the you know the F word in, in his presence. But whatever the case, after the Lizzie's drop the info that the Warriors are being blamed for Cyrus's murders and then commence the shooting and the stabbing, the Warriors barely escape. Um, yeah, this is the scene where we actually get our characters understanding the implications of what's going on. Yeah. Here. Because I think that's where Rembrandt picked up on the whole thing. And he's, he spills it to them that he goes, they think we should, you know, that we shot Cyrus. Yeah. Because he wasn't distracted by all the, the vagina. He was able to unpack <laughs> what was actually happening in that room. Uh, whether or not it was a, a bar, a hangout, a fucking YMCA. So again, you were you were you weren't sure if the film was aware that Rembrandt is gay, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no way that you could think that when they were filming this, he was just the the youngest character by such a mile that he was too shy at this point, and that was his nerves putting him off like that. I mean, is that possible? That that was what they were going for? Yeah, it just seems in stark contrast again to like the rest of them. So. I mean, it is what it is, because I'll tell you right now, you, as much as as you say that racism is absent from this film, there's there's definitely homophobia about. Yes, homo- you know what? Instead of Lincoln freeing the slaves, maybe he he freed the homosexuals, and that's what's going on here. <laughs> I don't think so, but I'll take. Should that. I cut that that comment out when I edit this? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a little deep. Uh, um, eventually all the remaining members of the Warriors and Mercy end up back at Union Station where they have a bathroom brawl with a gang called the Punks nothing says tough like roller skates overalls and feathered hair striped shirts yeah is there like a reference that I'm missing that explains the Punks uniform a reference to the uniform or their name like like is there so like mimes i know what a fucking mime is yeah, right yeah and then the baseball furies it's weird because they're wearing face paint but i know what a baseball player is right but like what are the pumps like the punks are wearing this weird it, it's what, it's certainly not like kind of lumberjack punk rock you know, like, no <laughs> it's and then, more yeah, why are they called the punks oh my god um i remember this look and it's You've you've seen Days and Confuse a number of times, and uh, it's a seventies look, man. Listen, listen. So. Hang on a second. Two notes ahead from this, I said, "Tell me that Linklater wasn't directly inspired by this dude's look when he conceived of the Don Dawson yep. character in Days and Confused, yep. right?" It's going with yeah. I was going with it. My favorite character in this fucking movie is the roller skating punk. You know, like that guy's the fucking best, and he's he's full on that character from Days and Confused. Yeah. So. Yeah, but again, I would get it if like the Warriors was made after Days and Confused, and they were like, "We're gonna have a gang based on that fucking dude." But the reverse doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> again, 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 again. It's it. It was a seventies look for sure. But that being said, that you know, is it coincidental that both of those films, you know, seem to channel the same, you know, outfit on this guy? I, you know, the same yeah. look. I don't. I mean, it, it could be coincidence, but there if, must be a reason why they both. There must be a thing that I just. I mean, I. I was only fucking four in the seventies, so yeah. But it, you know, again, it's. <laughs> I remember distinctly that kind of clothing because I had that kind of clothing in the seventies. Yeah. Well, I got that pop as well, so obviously I'm a fan of that fucking roller. Skating I mean, I guy. wasn't roller skating in that outfit that I can recall. <laughs> um, I wasn't at Orbit Roller Rink rolling around in my bib overalls with my striped shirt and feathered hair. 
but at some point I was roller roller skating with feathered hair. Let me ask you another question. Is there any practicality to fist fighting while wearing roller skates? No, and it and it seems that they're absent once you were fist fighting, so <laughs> they just go away. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know oh, what do they call those those wheelies or whatever where they like, you know, recess back into the shoe. Maybe that's what he really had. Yeah, maybe. Um no, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway, he had full on seventies skates. <laughs> I believe that this is the other fight scene you were talking about yeah. earlier. It's, it basically like turns into chaos in a bathroom. Yeah, it seemed it seemed so. They basically dip into the bathroom. They pull Mercy into the bathroom, and they start to do that like one by one. You know, creeping up to the stall doors and stuff until they open one, and Rembrandt sprays him right in the face with the spray paint, or sprays him with the stuff. Stuff, he sprays yeah. him with the stuff yeah. right in the eye and um then all <laughs> stall doors fly open which again that was the choreographed moment and then from there it seemed like they just had to start freewheeling and uh they threw the stuntmen in there and they just started doing flips and tosses and you know elbows fly in and so on yeah let's see if we can break a sink off the wall and shatter a mirror and it, and it, and it goes <laughs> It goes in all those directions, and it seems that there's an awful lot of mirrors in a subway bathroom these days. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how gross that floor must have been. The, the whole movie. I mean, you got to give it credit for capturing that feel because not only does the whole movie feel like everything is dirty, it felt like everyone was dirty. Yeah. Everyone yeah, was slimy. Everyone was sweaty greasy. As fuck, yeah. It was filmed in the summer nights, so again, it was probably all real, like real sweat and, and dirt on these people. Yeah. But even like as they're going around the streets, um, I mean, there's there's knocked over garbage cans, and they probably they they probably didn't knock them over themselves. There was it was probably just like oh fuck, that looks right about right. Film it there, you know. And yeah, in you know the New York City in the seventies was uh, kind of in a world of hurt when it came to stuff like that. It was it was a kind of a nasty place. Police were uh, in in short supply, and it would make sense that if there was a ripe time to take over by the gangs, it would it'd be in about that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely filmed in New York City. You can tell it's not it's not filmed in Toronto. <laughs> I mean, the subway walls felt like they were sweating while watching that film. Yeah, it's kind of making me feel gross right now yeah. talking about it, especially in your sweaty little office. Oh man, it's so hot in here. <laughs> I apologize, everybody, but I'm on the verge of fainting right now <laughs> heat exhaustion sinking in so after the warriors are done kicking some overall wearing ass we get a short scene where it's implied that one of the gang members that attended the parlay in the park is telling the riffs that the warriors were in fact not the ones that shot cyrus yeah, that's a pretty pretty uh weak looking gang member as well that's being brought in by the riffs yeah he, you gotta he, hear this they got lucky that he was willing to come forward and and tell what he saw yeah they picked the most spineless looking guy they could have for this <laughs> So. it didn't even occur to me I, half of these fucking gang members did not look more than oh, half did not look even remotely tough I mean, yeah, some of them like, looked wiry but you know aside from I think maybe the you know, the term Bill ACs were probably the toughest looking like as a group mm-hmm. you know and they also seem to be sporting the most hardware for uh, weaponry sure pitchforks and <laughs> chains and <laughs> there's probably no pitchforks and... actually were there <laughs> pitchfork would be funny Back on the subway, the uh, the Warriors make their final push to Coney Island, but before they arrive, some kids dressed like they were at prom get on and sit across from the beaten and dirty Warriors. And I'm curious, like, what do you th- what do you think the point of that is? Is it just contrast? It was a it was a stark contrast, and it was also I think 
it was an attempt at giving both Swan and Mercy some character depth, you know, where Swan is like, keep your head up, you know, don't, don't let anyone else feel bad about who you are. Despite the fact yeah. that he just completely told her she was a piece of shit earlier in the film. <laughs> right. Right. Like yeah. you're absolutely beneath my fucking feet. And then he's like, you know, telling her not to play with her hair and like be nervous that she should just, you know, be who Look she confident. is. And that's, that's yeah. the, that's what I took from the scene there to show that stark contrast between, you know, two different sets of youth in the same place. It was a juxtaposition of two different worlds in that one moment colliding. Do you think that the, when, when they get off the train, one of them drops the corsage yeah. and then Swan picks it up and gives it to Mercy. Do you think that that was like planned ahead of time or do you think that that was like a kind of in the, the moment? camera oh, cool seemed to follow it? Yeah, the camera seemed to follow it. So it was that seemed it, it didn't seem like it was a, an improv type of thing. It didn't seem like it was a spontaneous moment. It, 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 it seemed plotted. I didn't hate that that part. That was probably one of the only scenes in the movie that I felt like did have a little depth to it. And, it, and the, the sad part is it would have it would have been the scene that really cemented a redeemable quality about Swan. But because he had treated her like such a such a jerk earlier, it it, yeah. it I don't think it even like negated his earlier behaviors. Yeah, it didn't fit the it didn't really fit in with what we'd seen of the character so far. Yeah. I mean, other than like it could have even been his apology for being an asshole earlier. I mean, if we look at it as an apology, maybe that fits. Yeah. Maybe. That's slightly more redeemable. It is too too tough to say I'm sorry, but he shows it in a different way. I'll I'll give this one to him. I'll give this one to him. It's finally dawn as the warriors get off the train. As they enter the Coney Island amusement park area, Luther and the rogues pull up in a car behind them. I, am I mistaken? Are they driving a hearse? You know what? It it, it reminded me of um. It reminded me of like a, a graffitied uh, Studebaker from the Muppet movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm imagining Fozzie and, and Kermit behind the wheel <laughs> with animal chasing them. Yeah, David Patch Kelly's basically a Muppet in this movie, so... Sweetums, Sweetums chasing after and telling him to wait up. Which one's Sweetums? Sweetums is the giant, giant, hairy one with the <laughs> deep voice. Like, oh, wait for me, fellas! You know, that sort of thing. That's amazing. Yeah, that's Sweetums. I don't have as deep a, a knowledge of the Muppets. Again, I was deeper in the 70s than you were. Indeed. Was, that shit was live. So this is when we get the uh, classic moment of Luther clinking the balls on his fingers while singing Warriors Come Out and Play Yay that I hit you guys with at the intro there. Warriors come out to play yay. Warriors come out to play I'll be honest with you, like one or two of these come out and plays and and I'm like You're done. Kinda there. But then when he does it another two or three times and one of the last the one horse. is like play yeah the horse cracking voice. Yeah. I was like I would be laughing, I think, if I was there, if I was the fucking warriors. Again, be... was this a directorial thing where they're like just keep doing it until we get what we want? Or was it I don't know. I don't well know. it was improv. Was it I all? Mean, it, yeah, David Ke- Patrick Kelly, like, I guess he had a neighbor that used to, like, do this kind of shit that would intimidate him. And so he, okay. like, they needed something here and he just fucking did it and the director liked it. So 
I'm imagining the director was like, keep going, keep going, you know. <laughs> Kudos for him having like brought that to it because, you know, again, very signature element and very memorable yeah. for you know, it's it's to the point where it's one of those things where somebody who hasn't seen the film in years might actually think that that happens multiple times in the film for the amount of times that like totally, it's cited. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind yeah. of I don't know. It's very memorable. It's very memorable. But again, I think it's sort of it's like it there was too many of them in the moment. Yeah, you remember it better than it is. Exactly. My memory of it was like what it's supposed to be, which is like kind of weird and a little bit like off-putting and, yeah. and creepy. When I watched it this last time, I was like, oh, he says it like a lot of times and it gets like sillier and sillier the more he does it. And mm-hmm. then when he's clinking the bottles, they're like kind of he small, lost his rhythm. comically small. Yeah, it's not overall. Again, it's like one of these things where there's like a good idea that's not executed well. And yeah. that's sort of how I feel about a lot of this movie. If you haven't already gleaned that <laughs> from my commentary. Couldn't tell. But yeah, Swan says he's going to take them out to the sand and we see that he took a switchblade off one of the punks in the subway bathroom. Hopefully the one with the roller skates that I'm in love with. Yes. And uh, let me stop for a second and ask you, where is the rest of the fucking gang when there's, they get to Coney Island? Well, uh, Are there point, only nine in total? No, but at this point, though, isn't it? wouldn't you think that this is like five in the morning now? Like the, the sun is just coming up. They've spent all night getting back. So realistically, I would think you know, all the other fuckers are in bed. You think that fucking hardcore New York gang members are in bed at, at 5, 5 a.m.? Yeah. Nah. I think that they're uh, not only do I not think they're in bed, but I also think that they would have heard all the fucking radio shit of the warriors being like accused. You know, of the that's, killing. that's a possibility. That's a possibility. But at the same time, I accepted the fact that like, this is now the fucking crack of dawn and that they were sleeping. Yeah. See, I, I went the other way. I was like, I think there's only nine of these fuckers. I think that they've inflated their numbers. They're kind of like Scientology, where they're, t- they're telling people, <laughs> like they bought a lot of real estate, and they're telling people that these buildings are full of Scientologists, but really, there's nobody in any of these fucking buildings. Tom Cruise and four other people. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think fucking Swan is uh, Tom Cruise. L. Ron Hubbard's corpse. Cochise is Miscavige. No, L. Ron Hubbard is Cleon. Yeah. So, so I'm saying that his corpse is in the building. <laughs> sure, sure, exactly. No, I, I, I don't know. I, you're right. I'm sure you're right. It's ridiculous to think that the implication is that there's only nine fucking warriors total, and ne- you know now there's se- seven. Yeah. Two of them fucking bit ass, but I. Don't, it made. It also made me laugh to think, fuck. There's only nine of these guys. <laughs> Everybody came to the fucking summit. Well, there's, gang. there's six left now, not seven. All right, so, so Fox, Fox is was gone. killed. Ajax Cleon. has been pinched. Oh, and Cleon, I don't think Cleon's, Ajax is gone. Yeah. I think Ajax will get he'll get out on bail in like three days. He'll be fine. Probably, but at the same Please. point, you know, there's yeah. there's out of out of Coney Island, you've got six members standing awake at this at this stage, plus Mercy. Yeah, is it six? Yeah, six. Plus Vermin, Cowboy, Snow, Cochise. Rembrandt. Cochise, Swan, Swan, and uh, Cowboy. Did I say Cowboy already? I'll know when I edit. Right. <laughs> this, is the du- this is the dumbest exercise we've ever done on this show. Right, well, there's and nine think- going in. We lost three, so nine minus three is six. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I I keep thinking if Ajax is still there, he's yeah. there in spirit, just calling everybody a fag. <laughs> 
So the two gangs face off on the beach, and after some very oh, stilted... Oh, you missed the beat I wanted you to take. Well, then you fucking take it, man. Hit me. First, you know, prior to this, as, as we see the switchblade go in his back pocket, we're hit with an A-team montage. <laughs> Not a full A-team montage, <laughs> but they're breaking pipes off, and they're pulling pieces of you know, metal off the walls and getting ready for this rumble. Yeah, it didn't even fucking occur to me, dude. Oh, that's fucking funny. It's not a full A-team montage. No, no, but we're going to get the full... Well, there's one nonetheless. We're going to get the full theme song there, though. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's funny. Good call. Good call. Please step in whenever you feel the need to do that. So after the A-team montage, two gangs face off on the beach, and after some very stilted dialogue where Luther confesses killing Cyrus... Why'd you waste Cyrus? No reason. I just like doing things like that. We come to a, another unintentionally funny moment in the film when Swan, in full slow-mo, I put it here, it's in full okay. slow-mo, disarms Luther with a knife throw to the wrist. So I wouldn't have put it there if it didn't happen, my man. Right. Okay. So I think the slow-mo is the action, but I think literally you don't see the knife flying. You just see him <laughs> holding his wrist Right, afterwards. because they couldn't afford to have the stunt happen that way. So it was like True. he did a like a slow-mo throw, and then they cut to the knife already in his wrist because he's just holding it to his wrist. So I wonder now, is there... Is that one of the, the, the tiny little differences oh, between the two yeah, cuts? yeah, like there's a slow-mo in the director's cut, but not in the... Maybe? Yeah, maybe I, not. I only have the director's cut, so I can't tell you for sure. I, it felt like the subway uh, bathroom fight was longer in the director's cut, in my mind. Mm. And again, you know, I've seen the theatrical cut probably... Thrice? I don't know. A do, you know no, I mean a dozen times, probably three times in the last year. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> I told you, my son digs the film. Oh he can dig God. it. I haven't watched any movie four times in the last year. Oh my God! Well, we we kept stutter stopping on this on this episode Bro, as well. I guess so. So I kept like oh, wanting to go in fresh that's because hilarious. I'm I'm not I'm not the one taking notes. Right. So yeah. your freshness comes from you know your your note taking, oh, whereas so mine is, is coming off it. the cuff. Yeah, this is why I do the notes so I don't have to watch fucking the Warriors four times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, I mean, again, you know, you look at like reciting how how Arnold gets off the plane in Commando. You know, that all came from you know short term memory. Right. No, I know, and that's why it's fun for me occasionally ask you to like describe something because I know that you don't have notes. Real quick, I'm gonna look at this fucking scene and make sure that I'm not full of shit. I mean, you're probably right on this one, but it'll take me a very brief amount of time. Hang on. No, yeah, when he steps to the side, he steps to the side in a slow mo. Yeah, there's definitely two good moments of slow mo on that. Yep. Yep. It's yeah. slow mo. It's and like it's like intercut with like. Regular speed, slow-mo. Regular speed, slow-mo. Mm. Ah. Well, thank you, notes, because I would really be sad to not call <laughs> that guess out. guess yourself there. Yeah, he throws the fucking knife and disarms Luther with it. And Swan yanks the knife out of Luther's wrist afterwards and then wipes the blade clean on Luther's hair. And it's supposed to be like a cool, like a cool, like badass moment. And to me, it's just hilarious. It's so awesome awkward and choppy and i feel like they didn't rehearse it and i feel like they did it one take it 100 percent feels like one take earlier viewings i almost felt like he was cutting a lock of his hair <laughs> off and then then i struggled with it thinking like oh is he 
maybe is he cutting his the tip of his ear off? Like, is this is this like a way of completely emasculating him? And then in reality, it's literally just yeah. You know what he's doing? He's doing hair. the fucking executive who cleans their sunglasses on their assistant's shirt. There you go. Like, right, yeah. like that's what it is. Like this is how little I think of you, but you're the shit on the my heel of my shoe. If you showed me this scene alone with no context, I would think it was out of a spoof. I would think this was out of like Naked Gun or something. It, it's <laughs> there's no chance that I would believe that this was supposed to be a serious scene if you just showed it to me out of context. It's so ridiculous. If Reggie Jackson was holding the gun and walking like a robot, it would make more yes. sense to you. Yes, it would. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I, again, this is one of those where I, I think I watched it three or four times with my wife because I just was like, no way did that yeah. just happen that way. Yeah, it's 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 not quality filmmaking <laughs> at that point. Uh, before a full-on fight can break out between the Warriors and the rest of the Rogues, the Rifts show up to collect Luther. And, uh, you know, in keeping with this scene, Luther's reaction is so ridiculous here. No. No. It wasn't us. It was them. The warriors. He's like yeah. a little kid. Like, it was the warriors. Yeah, he's he's doing like a, almost begging for his life was, type of thing. It was, by <laughs> protesting it was the warriors. You know, what it, you know what it made me think of? You know in the fucking Shrek movies when Puss in Boots goes from like normal to like innocent kitty? Yeah, the, pop, the, the, the eyes, yeah. Yeah, it's like Luther's trying to do the fucking Puss in Boots face and like, no, it was the warriors. I, I swear. And... I'm just like, how did the fucking director yell <laughs> cut and print after that? Maybe that was the best out of many takes. I don't know, but it's fucking rough. It, I mean, obviously the point was to show him as a spineless little worm crawling on the ground. But again, it's not like a, a believable moment other than to show that, you know, David Patrick Kelly's playing Luther as just like a fucking nut job. Just unhinged. I mean, he's definitely unhinged. So he got that, but I don't know. I. I've said enough. I'll say no more. Uh, the rifts allow the <laughs> the rifts allow the warriors to leave, and as they converge on Luther and the rogues, but we know that Luther survives this because he goes on to join the army and meet Enriquez, <laughs> and you know, uh, later he'll meet Matrix. So, yes, yeah. yes, as a cook in the the army, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the warriors, my friend. Which, which, by the way, the way I would describe this movie is it's a musical without songs. <laughs> that's how i would describe this movie so the acting has that 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 musical acting quality to it yeah it's I, th- I think the okay. actors are playing to the like the back of the theater got it it's not the lyrical feel it's more of the overacting you it's, know it's the overacting it's like kind of ridiculous it's like kind of so, some weird non sequitur moments like there's just things about it that are they're like designed to lend themselves to like, and here's the big number. But instead of a big number, you know, Ajax calls someone a fag. So paint your wagon. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, I think this this episode is going to take the record for how many times I use the homophobic the slur. Yeah. So maybe we'll beat it in Revenge of the Nerds or something later. But it's possible. You know, right now it's the Warriors. Let's do uh, let's do our reviews of this. Uh, IMDb gave this a seven point six out of ten, which is mm-hmm. you know nothing. To, shake a stick at rotten tomatoes hit us with an 88 percent critic score and an 88 percent audience score so that's cool this is actually the highest rated film we've done on this show so far across the board which is a little shocking and it's you know it's also interesting that it's like both both aggregate scores are, are the same number at 88 percent. that being said you know the fact that this is 
either way, you know, a, a 7.6 or an 88%, either way, it um, speaks to the fact that this has probably gained the cult following throughout the years. Yeah. And um, to me, that makes sense. Yeah. I it, This movie is very highly regarded. It's got a good reputation. Pretty much everybody likes it. In fact, me being kind of bitchy about it on this episode is like... <laughs> probably going to rub some people the wrong way but it's like there's a soft spot for this movie for for a lot i of remembered liking this movie more than i did i mean i did that with lost boys and i'm sure yeah i'm sure somebody else how this feels. a little little upset by the fact that i was no longer impressed with it yeah it is very lost boys for me where i remembered liking it and then when i saw it as as, as a grown-up because I, I don't think i've seen this movie in like 25 years it's been a long time but yeah i just it didn't draw me in there was things i liked about it but at the end like i'm like i don't know i'm never gonna watch this fucking movie again unless i'm gonna laugh at it in a group of people or something so so you had 20 to 25 years in between viewings maybe the fact that i had a refresher viewing you know repeatedly through the years here and there was enough yeah. to like keep it uh on on the level for me kind of like when you see yourself yeah, in the maybe. mirror every day you don't realize you're getting fatter <laughs> Because <laughs> you sure because yeah. you see yourself yeah. so repeatedly, but if you if you see yourself two years apart, you know you recognize uh-huh. it in photos. Yeah, this this movie watching this movie was like me going to a high school reunion, and people were like, <laughs> "Fuck, you got fat, dude!" Like, yeah, I definitely got fat. Oh man, Lou lost all his hair. Mm-hmm. I, I still have. <laughs> a lot in fact, of my that's hair. not true. Yeah, the fat thing is true though. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you what do you what do you think as far as uh rating this for yourself? Sword dick, quick okay, myself, broccoli. Myself it's sword dick. It's like a sword dick. You can't beat it. Cause again, this is aside from the fact that like I legitimately can watch this and enjoy it each time I watch it and then and then it was even more fun the fact that my son actually really liked it yeah that helped me keep a soft spot for for the warriors I understand pretty much every single qualm that you have with the film whether it's the acting whether it's the context whether you know any of that stuff I I get it I totally get it It, it's just it's I'm a little blind to it based upon you know my romantic image of it yeah i mean i i, I get sword it. dick yeah i don't i don't judge i don't judge your sword dick rating and the truth is like right now in this moment i don't 100 percent know which which one i'm gonna give it yeah but i i think i have to i think i have to go with go with your heart yeah i think i have to go with quicksand under the car seat i'm not 100 percent sure but i think that's quicksand under the car seat just barely just barely just scrapes up there yeah i mean when i think of quick center of the car seat it's going to encompass a lot of movies for me mm-hmm. it's going to basically be like sword dick is a's and b's quick center of the car car seat is like c's and d's and then broccoli horror trope is like an f yeah so this is like a, a solid a three out of five stars maybe even two and a half out of five stars but it's not one you know what right. i mean i don't need to watch it again but i don't I feel like it's probably only slightly worse than The Lost Boys for me, but it's okay. not. It's just not bad enough for me to broccoli horror trope it. So I yeah. think I think if you look at in context of cult movie and pop culture relevance, it might be why it's keeping it above water for you. Yeah, maybe. So and just knowing those two things, it's which, not a good movie though. <laughs> no, it's you know, and, and, and it's no masterpiece. 
but it has been highly influential over the years in multiple media. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, the number of rap songs it's probably influenced. And, and that's, that's an absolute truth to it. You know, I mean, anywhere from Ice Cube to NWA minus Ice Cube, you know, with 100 miles and running. I mean, you've got it's over and over again, Wu-Tang Clan, um, you know, they're like they literally do the Warriors come out and play as as a, as a lyric on uh, Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. Mm-hmm. One, of, I can't remember if it's if it's Bring the Ruckus or something else. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, it's there. It's it's been highly influential to the point in which, God, how many years later, The Simpsons even did a parody of it with um, bullies and uh, Bart Simpson trying to get back. They're all trying to get back home from a, a bully summit, and they. They pull out um, multiple scene for scene pastiches of the Warriors in the Simpsons episode. So, yeah. Well, I, it I it makes sense. I'm I'm on the edge, but I'm going with quicksand. Plus, you get those cool pop figures out of it. It's true, and I do. You know what? That might be ultimately what it is. Is that <laughs> I I really do like those pop figures. I I do enjoy them. Where would you put the Warriors on your list now? Um, I'm assuming that you would put it in the number two spot behind pump up the volume. It's, is that, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, pump up the volume has a lot more redeeming qualities for sure. So there's no way it's overtaking that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that it's, it's a sore dick, it has to, it has to fall in that range. So number two. Okay. And I'm putting it in the, uh, the number four slot between the lost boys and can't hardly wait. Cool. Let's uh let's let's do just the facts. Fantastic. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some facts here. I don't know how many of these we covered during the episode, but hopefully some of these facts are factastic. Is that what you said? Factastic. <laughs> so fact number one: Deborah Van Valkenburg, which I, I really have a hard time with her name for some reason, fell while filming the scene where Fox is thrown off the subway platform and had to wear a cast the rest of the film. And so, yeah, we already covered that one. Speaking of Fox, actor Thomas G. Waits butted heads with the director to the point where the character was killed off and a stuntman uh, played him falling on the tracks. We also covered that one during the episode. Man, we're going to... Yeah, I can't remember what the actual falling out was, but I I think he thought his character was going to be... Um, headed in a different direction, one way or the other. I think I, I, don't I think he number one thought he was the star, and it turned out to be a little bit of more of an ensemble than he expected. And he also didn't expect it to be as gritty and violent as it was. And okay. when he started, I think I read that yeah, too. when he started to see that it was like not what he thought it was, instead of like talking to the director, he just like started acting like a diva. I also think he was probably <laughs> doing a lot of drinking at this time. I've read that's possible. So. He's, so he thought he was doing he was he was filming Peter Pan and the Lost Boys yes. and they, the Warriors with the Lost Boys. Exactly. Got he it. thought that he's like, Where's Kiefer Sutherland? I swear he was <laughs> on the call list. Um he's since in the years since basically regretted his behavior on this and wished he could have handled it a different way. So he looks back on it with regret, it seems. I mean I would I would probably too because these guys all seem to, to relish the fact that they were in this film. I mean, they've done reunions. Very and so few on. of them did anything else of note. I mean, other than of David course. Patrick Kelly, like, yeah, it, it's. I was surprised actually because I was like, this is a pretty well known movie. It's well regarded for some reason. Um, well, didn't Deborah go on to do something else? She did some other stuff for sure. I mean, fucking Mercedes Rule did some stuff, but the actual warriors, the characters that play, yeah. or the actors that are playing the actual core warriors. Like I mean, back, James yeah. Remar has done probably the most work 
other than yeah. David Patrick Kelly. But the Warriors come out to play scene, like I said, completely improvised by DPK. So, man, we covered all of these facts during the Thanks fucking Thanks for using episode. DPK. The, uh, oh, yeah, you're welcome. The Baseball Furies are a reference to Second Base, a real game gang from that era. Second Base members wore Letterman jackets with Second Base across the backs. So, I like that. They took some liberties there, but they're at least based on something. You'll like this one right here. Apparently, Walter Hill wanted Tony Danza to play Vermin, but Tony was too busy with Taxi. And that's why the hat? I mean, I think the guy who played him... Terry Mikos or Michos, I think he's fucking doing a Danza impression. Is is definitely got you know he styled the hair that way. Yeah. Well, you know what? To harken back to episode two of our podcast, I feel like this this character is the same character that uh, the cousin was playing. Right. You know? Right. If we're talking about the inspiration for you just needed that silvery, yeah. shimmery, <laughs> the shirt shimmery on. shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that the, that there's a connection. That's what he's channeling. There. All right, beautiful. Lastly, the film ended up being pulled from theaters because of some violence that took place at some of the screenings, which included both shootings and stabbings, much like the Lizzie's. Yeah, there was legitimate, legitimate, like, violent crime happening. And I think they they offered the theaters to be able to pull out without any sort of contractual um, violations. Like, they literally recognized that bad shit was going down, so they, they were allowed to pull it without having... Any sort of penalty whatsoever. Yeah. So I'm guessing that that, that 20 whatever million, what I say at the beginning of the episode there, 22.5 million gross box office probably yeah. was just like the opening weekend. And then. Do you remember, do you remember like mid 90s uh, film coming out that um, had similar things where, it you know, not counting the um, the Batman shooting yeah, or whatever was say, it was. That's the one that I think. Not of. counting that one, there was. Um, there was a it was it was kind of like a gangbanger type film um low but you know like lower profile after menace to society after juice it was another one i almost feel like there was like some sort of um synonym for bullet or something was the name of the title but that we had that at town and country and that was where i think i snuck uh Alonzo Spellman into that one in the back row, <laughs> but it was we were under, we were under the, um, you know the the warning that several of the theaters yeah. in Chicago had shootings because of that film, and it I think because of the some something with the portrayal of the gang members in it was causing these these outbreaks of gang violence at the actual movie theater. I can't think of what movie you're talking about. I will I will get back to you on that at a later date. Okay, well, I'll try to edit in me saying what movie it is if you do that before I do the editing of this podcast. Because yeah. this is going to be a real like downer for all the people listening. They're like, wait, what fucking movie was it? <laughs> we'll just say it right. It was yeah. fresh. It was fresh. <laughs> it wasn't fresh. <laughs> yeah, I really can't think so. Uh, 187, possibly. 187 was playing a town and country for sure when we were there. Yeah. I remember we did a midnight it screening was of that one. in theater two. Totally, yeah. That I snuck them into the fits. I think it was one eight seven. That would make sense to me. So I think there was uh, actual shootings at the time in uh, Chicago uh, when that movie came out to the point where um, they were about to pull it from our theater for that reason. And it, it was enough to like make the. It got around to the fact that like 
you know, the, some of the, some of the girly staff members were a little more nervous. Yeah. I do vaguely remember that. I, I was working there at the time. So that does sound familiar to me as does sneaking Alonzo Spellman in. <laughs> let's, uh, let's fuck with our no fly list here. You go first. Okay. So pull right out uh, the open get it out right off the bat. The use of the word faggot. Yeah. Um, clearly not something that would be in today unless there was like some sort of artistic cause to pull the word out again in some sort of realistic moment to to progress the film along um the use now is in this film is is completely unnecessary um so yeah that wouldn't that wouldn't work um as much as I'm personally entertained by it, I cannot imagine the level of coordination involved in orchestrating all these matching ensembles as gang members. Yeah. I mean, and then and then face painting that that just goes beyond. Uh, I love um, it. Unless, unless the face paint there's, comes out for special occasions only, you know, like mimes. gang summits. We got mimes. <laughs> yep, yep. So I mean, just I mean. They're they're gang members. They're they're not. They shouldn't have to invest like hundreds of dollars in in a wardrobe. I mean, do they wear the mime outfits every single day? You like know, in the, the sweltering vest, heat of New York the City. The warriors' vests <laughs> is probably one of the most sensible uniforms in this film yeah. because it's a vest. You can wear it over a shirt. You can wear it without a shirt. You can wear it with jeans. You can wear it with you know leather pants. You can wear it with chaps even. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, you know. Um, that's that's too much um (laughs) now the fact that the gangs are literally so white in most of the instances (laughs) okay this is this is new york city in the late 70s it's not believable that the demographic would be so slanted that way and we talk about training day would would training day work if the neighborhoods of were a similar demographic (laughs) you know if they were rolling into a you know a a a white suburban subdivision and 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 dealing dealing dope i like to and i like to imagine them rolling into the jungle where they actually were but it's all white extras it's all white (laughs) that would be amazing you know and and the thing is like that might work um when you're talking about like you know the hills of kentucky or something Mm -hmm, like that where mm -hmm. there's you know a lot of um you know militia mentalities off the grid and um a lot of uh a lot of criminal marijuana growth and and even meth and stuff like that. If that was the case, but this is this is New York City and it's urban and it's not like that, <laughs> so that that doesn't fly. But you know what um, though? Like going back to during the episode, we talked about racism. Yeah. In that world, maybe where Lincoln I, never freed the slaves, there was never slaves to free. <laughs> you know, you're stuck on that, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, if we're butterfly effect, uh, all these infinite universes, uh-huh. you know, maybe maybe that one is just just a hair out of alignment of ours, and uh, <laughs> it, it skewed the demographic. That the butterfly way. flapped um, its wings, and all the gay people were freed by Lincoln. There you go. I don't think so. No, it doesn't make um, sense. No, there's, it makes no, no sense. sense in there. No sense. Um, the film at points was unnecessarily rapey. Yeah. The misogyny aside. Yeah, you know, the the scene on the bench went darker than it needed to. Like I like I said, it was almost like he turned in bitter. You know, it was he went Jekyll and Hyde, dude. Yeah, he 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 grabbed her breast, and it was like, I don't know, he was like holding on for dear life, you know, but like in an angry way. You know what it was? It was the precursor to um, Robert De Niro's version of Max oh. Katie. Is that his name from? Um, it's a fucking movie where he bites uh, the Cape woman's Fear. face. Yeah, Cape Fear, where he bites her face. 
that's that like, was it. That like was zero to sixty. Yeah, <laughs> zero to sixty. Nice. <laughs> All right, and then yeah, the the stereotypes that were exhibited in the film. I mean, it, it you you couldn't you couldn't get away with such overt stereotypes. I mean, it was crazy across the board, because at some point it looked like the village people were were gangbangers. You know, it's even to the point where you had like. And some they weren't necessarily featured, but they were shown, you know, walking to the summit. Like there's, there's a, a group of uh, of gang members that are all um, weathered up, you know, with the with the leather caps and all that, and you know, they kind of looked like they would <laughs> like be leather daddies. Yeah, they looked like they'd be hanging out on Halstead Street on a Friday night, you know. Yeah, for all of our non, for all of our non Chicago listeners, that's a uh, that's Boys Town. It is, but Friday night was leather night. Is it? It yeah. was. I they don't could, know they'd also is. fit right in at the Blue Oyster from uh, right, Police Academy. Exactly. To call back to another reference I made in a different episode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's that's my no fly. Those are good. I'm with I'm with it. Uh, let's hit mine. Maybe it's because I come from the era of the Crips and the Bloods, but these gang members aren't the least bit intimidating. Uh, between the costumes, the language, and the fucking hairstyles, I I just can't with this. <laughs> kind of connected to my uh, last no fly. Physically, people in the seventies were just smaller across the board. Like these dudes all look like they weighed buck thirty five at most. Uh, compared to dudes on Denzel's block in Training Day, it's a stark contrast. And by the way, I can't believe how many Training Days references we got in this movie. I didn't think we yeah, were gonna do this. Yeah, and 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 mine was the one I just had. I had that ahead independent of, time. of me. Yeah. 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 I was in my notes ahead of time. Uh huh. I saw that. It made me laugh. And I, I, yeah, it's fucking funny. But yeah, these fucking gangbangers are not scary. Um, other than you know, if you're scared that they're gonna fucking tickle you to death. Well, maybe they're all buck thirty-five because they were sweating their asses off the whole time. You know, they're, maybe they're looking. <laughs> I feel they're, like they were malnourished. <laughs> yeah, that too. I mean, again, like so, the the way they were sweating and maybe some of their physiques kind of lended a 70s realism to me so yeah but at the same time you're right they're not they're not like working out to get buff by any means no you know what they you know what they are they're harvey Keitel in taxi yeah driver. there you go good 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 call yeah uh 70s insults gay slurs aside i refuse to believe that wimp was ever a solid burn I you mean, can tell me you were alive in the seventies. I was, and <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a solid burn when I was in you know grade school and junior high. Yeah. I don't imagine grown men got away with that as as like their tough guy talk though. Yep, I wouldn't think so. Gang members paying for the subways, but you know what? Um, you you explain this away to me. I'm down. <laughs> this this is this this flies for me now. I've you've turned me around on this one. Uh, Luther getting away with pinning the blame for the shooting on the Warriors. Dude wasn't sniping from a rooftop. He was in the middle of the fucking crowd. Yeah. I get that a shot goes off and everybody runs, but there's there had to be people like in his peripherals, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just you would think you would again. He it was a thick thick crowd. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You didn't call it out on the facts, um, but they in in the summit scene they actually had legitimate um, gang members filling in as extras in that scene to, f- to flesh it out yeah so i mean it was packed i mean it was like legitimately packed and um you know that being said like the fact that they they had uh legitimate gang members in there they actually um i guess the cast was uh under under security and and felt uh uncomfortable <laughs> in in those moments because they uh they definitely stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I think I also read that like a lot of the gangbangers were trying to pick fights with the actors just because yep. you know, like 
read that the classic move um the final piece of or the final action piece with the knife throw and subsequent bullshit after that it just got way into naked gun territory for me and yeah i I think tonally it's wrong it's just it's wrong so i get it yeah that's my uh that's my fucking list okay so next episode did you look at my choice here yeah i saw it we're gonna do big trouble in little china next episode i was i was leaning i was gonna give you like a serious one we we're gonna do uh interstellar yeah you but then that. i decided you know what let's let's have a little more fun before we get into the serious shit and uh i will snapshot that big trouble in little china is is fun yeah when's the last time you saw it we'll talk, <laughs> um, we'll talk about it deep in the episode minimal, i'm just curious like our, how long it's been i would say somewhere within the last 75 days <laughs> fuck dude all right. It was well, it was it was on the list to show my son and when you know it became pseudo acceptable like he started playing um Mortal Kombat 11 uh on my laptop and I okay. was I nice. was like okay let me let me show you something else here. And uh I sh- you know he's he saw um uh you know uh Kurt Russell in um I forget what it's called now. It was, it was a Santa Claus movie on Netflix, and Goldie Hawn plays uh, Mrs. Claus is to his Mr. Santa Claus. That's fits. Um, but I that being it. said, he was familiar with Kurt Russell to an extent, and then I showed him showed him Big Trouble in Little China, and and it was a uh, it was a interesting time to be had. Yeah, I look forward to. Uh, I will want to hear all about that for sure in this next episode. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, so I'm looking forward to watching this one. It's been a while. I'm sure I'm going to have some hilarious like <laughs> what the fucks. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I mean because there's there's special effects galore in there that um John Carpenter uh was was able to realize and not fully realize. So <laughs> yeah. And there's just some wacky stuff. Yeah, this is a movie that me and my wife quote a lot, so I'm looking forward to remembering the context of those quotes, because like, I've heard her quote this movie like probably once a month in the last fucking 20 years. And so. and it's in our uh, intro quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's in there, because that's one of the lines that my wife quotes. Uh, we're going to get into this fucking next episode. Yeah. I can't wait. All right, man. Well, I appreciate this, and uh, I'll see you next time. Got it. Dan out. I'll kick everyone's ass in this room!